That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Malaka! Andy goes back in time to ancient Greece and enjoys a spinach pie with a side of murder. Dan goes for the ring in Shadow of War, and dry weed bums everybody out. We talk about how to bring your weed back from a cold, crispy death. A little college experimentation happens with Path of Exile, and we take a glimpse into the PS5's future, with five launch titles that tickle our underbritches. We'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that, because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one, the only, the Kalamata Olive to my pumpkin pie, Dank Dan. Andy, we're getting a message coming up here on comms. Uh, it appears that the Dark Lord is demanding we relinquish our everlasting souls. I, hey, do you still have one of those? I traded mine for a push pop in the third grade. <laughs> Dan, always underestimating the value of your everlasting soul. Yet to be proven wrong. I mean, and listen, I'm sure Nikki the Six will trade it back to me, you know? Well, I couldn't have gone up that much. Push pop, what is it now? Maybe a Bentley? Bentley and a half. I don't know, dude. You're so old, only time could tell us. Um, Dan, how are you, buddy? It's been a little while. I'm fresh and fancy, pal. How about yourself? I am here in sunny Florida, enjoying the um, the heat, the staggering, stifling, humid heat, the smell of a fresh swamp bayou, and um, and some alligators. That's what I'm doing. What about what about you? So you're in Tampa then? Well, I mean, it's it looks a little bit like the ninth layer of hell as well. But no, I, I'm kidding. I mean, Tampa's Tampa's beautiful. Tampa Wonderful. area is beautiful as well. Um, but you got to understand, I've just come out of the cold winter of Canada, and so it's really a shock to my sensibilities, my strong northern sensibilities. I, you know, I packed a jacket to come down here, Dan. No jacket required. Spoilers. Yeah, you don't need a jacket. Although we Ontarians, we're no stranger to humidity. We've been tempered in the wet, wet fires of summer, but you just weren't prepared. Your body, you hadn't readied your body for the the humidity thunderdome. That's right. Well, I mean, while we're talking about the weather, like both of our grandmothers, um, I should mention yeah. that, you know, it, it's, it's always a shock for sure. The challenge is the rain. Every day in Florida, like at, at like 2 p.m., it just rains. And I find that really mentally disturbing because it's such a beautiful day and I always prepare for a beautiful day. But for like 35 minutes, it just turns into it turns into a real downpour and it bums me out. Bums me out, Dan. This happens in Ireland and Scotland. Uh, they call it a drig. And it's the idea that it could rain at any given second. A drig. A drig yeah. sounds like the kind of monster I might find in a barrow. Yeah, in a barrow in a shadow of Mordor. Yeah, I heard you, uh, heard you tucked into that a little bit this week. Oh, I did. I put my snoot into it. I, I revisited Shadow of War after all the debacles, after there was uh, an uproar of reviews regarding the microtransactiones. My ear was peaked when I heard that they had removed them, and it was further peaked when I saw 
Shadow of War at my electronics boutique, my GameStop locally, at a, at a bargain of $13. So not only did, did I buy one, I bought two. Oh, why? Well, I have a number of compatriots that would love to, and I know I haven't misstepped because as I've been... No, it was a charitable thing. As I've been speaking to one and all, friends and foes alike, they've said, oh man, you got to lend it to me. I'll have it when you're done. I said, wait no longer, my friend. I've supped you your own copy. Here it is. $50, please. No, That's no. such a charitable, nice thing to do, Dan. Just just picking up an extra copy for your friends. It feels like you really want to just knuckle one, knuckle them under, though. Like, it feels like a power move, if I'm being honest. Andy, I don't know how to tell you this, but the kindness of the human soul doesn't need to be a power move. It feels don't, like a power don't move. Don't borrow a game yeah, from yeah, Andy. Don't worry, man. He'll make you help him move. I have the, uh, I have the, uh, I have the means to give you this second copy, and I hope you enjoy it in good faith. But there will come a day in the future where I may call upon you for a service. But until that day, enjoy this as a gift on the day of my daughter's wedding. Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to get you this game real quick, but first, could you dance? And while you're dancing, could you just refer to yourself as a pretty, pretty princess? Yep. That's usually my move. That's usually my move. It's power. It's a powerful move. Yeah, yeah. I'm dealing with too much caffeine right now, Dan. I feel real amped up, real jacked up. Um, I landed in Tampa, and I think I I was previously just just as a little backstory. I was in um I was in a European environment about a week ago, and those guys drink a lot of cappuccino, and they look good doing it. Damn it, me with my northern double double from Tim Hortons. You know, there's nothing elegant about that. But when you see a dude who's in the middle of his work day, and he's sitting on a patio. And he's got a phone in one hand and a cappuccino warming on the table. You're like, that man lives both a life of luxury and, and, and a respect for his own time as well as get shit done. And so I've been trying to take that on. But what ended up happening was I, I, I found myself in a place where I was downing about two to three cappuccinos uh, every three hours. So um, I'm trying to dial that back a little bit. But the, the caffeine refuses to leave my blood without a negative experience. I, uh, buddy, I, I get that. And you're on a ride of both Java and sugar. And as we even discussed this, I literally, to avoid uh, getting any mic issues, I've rested, you can picture my mug is on my right shoulder. I've rested my mug on my shoulder with my right hand, my blessed Batman mug. Uh, and I'll be continuing to sip it. And this is one of those mugs when people ask you, how many coffees have you had, have you had today? I answer one or two, but the truth is, is this cup contains at least eight full cups of coffee. <laughs> so I'm lying to others and I'm lying to myself with it. You know, when, when I get over caffeinated, you know what the situation is? Uh, nope. It's on the road. You know, oh, yeah. You got yeah. a long drive. So mm -hmm. you stop in for a coffee and I recommend Circle K. I don't know uh, if they have those far and wide, but their coffee is a sleeper hit. It isn't the battery acid you'll find. Um, at other convenience stores. <laughs> so you stop for a coffee and you top yourself up, you get blitzed on the bean and then you head down the road and, and nigh two hours later, you must stop because that coffee has done what that coffee will do. It's made its way uh, through your, your various tubules down to your, uh, your ureter and it's time to make it happen. And what do you do? You scoop yourself up a second coffee. Of course. It's the, it's the, the pee coffee uh, uh, cycle. It's like, you know, you can't wash your clothes without drying them too. And that's just how it goes. That's science. Uh, I, I agree. You know, for me, it's if I'm on a road trip, if I'm somewhere, if I'm at a destination, I'm a coffee snob. If I arrive, you know, I've gotten off a plane, I find the best coffee in the area and I go and sit there for the next five hours while I do whatever I'm doing. But if I'm on a road trip, I want to go the opposite way. I want to go to the shittiest coffee available. I just want some real swill. 
I want a lot of it. I want an extra large sized, like almost novelty sized coffee. And I want it every hundred miles. And that's what I want. If you say to yourself, I'm going to hold on, I'm going to, I'm going to skip the next two coffee breaks. You and I are in the blessed situation where there's always a member of the fairer sex with us. And there is never a pit stop. If it says rest stop, you've already been warned. It's time to stop. They need to go 15 minutes ago. Is that, is that also your experience? Yeah, although admittedly, I had to let some of those girls go because paying them to be in my company 24 hours a day was really getting expensive. It really hits the bottom line a little bit. You know what, Andy, I'm noticing we're a little bit more we're a little bit more jazzed up because this is one of the rare daylight podcasts. Normally, we're running the Purple Dungeon Pod nights. Yeah, it's like 2 p.m., man. It's yeah, it's true. It's like 2 p.m. It's like 2 p.m. Um, had a busy day uh, and I was looking forward to snuggling into my hotel room. And flipping on a little Rayman because I picked up I uh, picked up a copy of Rayman for the Switch um, a few weeks ago, and I've only had a couple of spare minutes to to d- jump into it in between. So I was looking forward to you know playing some non-committal Rayman for the next two hours, and then you just you know you suggested we we make a podcast happen. So I mean, fuck you for that, but it's also it's also nice. It's nice to happen, nice midday kind of situation. Feeling feeling good about it. Podcasting during the day feels wrong. It almost feels like watching a movie. At 1 p.m., you just feel like you've made a mistake. Yeah, it feels like going to a bar at 11 yeah, yeah. in the morning. I mean, it happens sometimes, but, you know, you usually feel a little naughty being there. Only the best times. No different than arriving at a bar at 11 a.m. You know, we got to do this podcast all the way out. You get to a bar at 11 a.m., you know what you're doing, Dan? Ordering shots. Shots. That's what's happening. Shots. Shots, oh, shots for everybody. Everybody's getting shots, and that's going on for the rest of the day. So we're going to do it just like that. Andy, for- you start with penetration, and I respect that. Penetrating kind of guy, you know? Andy, how do you know that you've had too much caffeine? What's the first sign? Well, lots of urination, and then it turns... It, it sounds a lot worse than it is, really. I mean, you know, you, you don't really think about it in the moment, but there's that, and then there's lots of sweating, and then there's the heart palpitations, and then there's the headaches, and then there's the the racing thoughts, and... uh uh, and then you get to a point after you have a few more cappuccinos, mm-hmm. even while those things are occurring, that um, you think only of death. You, think you envision only your own sweet death. You know, you know how I know some nice, sweet soul asks me, how you, how's your day? She's like, she's like, oh, hey, Suge, how's your day? And I say, mind your own business. <laughs> my, that seems there's common. There's a flare. I, I was actually, I, was, I threw out a tweet. I was like, hey, what's this unsettling rage I'm feeling from nowhere? And my my uh, my friend, uh, the naturopath uh, uh, Nadia Cumentes, uh, tweeted me back. She's like, "Oh, uh, how many coffees as you ha- have you had?" And she's Uh-oh. like, "In ounces." I'm like, "Oh, she knows my trick." So I'm like, "Out oh, roughly 45 fluid ounces." Yeah. She's like, "Yeah, that's that's caffeine rage," and uh, yeah. she probably dial it back. And she was correct. That was exactly what was happening. Are you a caffeinated gamer, Dan? Because like we're both stoned gamers, right? We like a little weed with our video games. Are you a, are you a caffeinated gamer too though? Like, are you like a take a joint, a little cup of coffee, play a video game? Because that's me, right? Like, I like a joint and then a coffee. That's that's my that's my jam. See, I find those experiences to be competing. I uh, if if I'm going up into the stratosphere, up to the upper echelons uh, with my my weed, I find coffee brings me back down to earth. So i I tend not to mix them too readily, so in the morning uh I'm usually a coffee guy, and for the evening gaming uh I'm a little bit more of a joint fella now there's the odd Sunday where uh a bowl will re- replace the uh the java or maybe I'll do one and then the other, but I find that the sensations 
uh, compete. They're kind of they're doing opposite things. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, you know, I humbly disagree. You know, for me, it's so there's a couple things when I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm about to consume a strain that I know is going to make me prone to couch lock or is going to make me sleepy. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going down for coffee because that's, of course, um, you know, an experience. Usually it only happens for me at night because, uh, you know, smoking at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and, and with the intention of not doing anything is just doesn't happen. But, um, you know, if I'm if I'm consuming, even if it's like a, you know, a mild, let's call it a mild indica, obviously it's a generalization, but an indica that isn't necessarily predisposed to sleep or couch lock, um, maybe a more cerebral, uh, strain of cannabis, or certainly if I'm, if I'm participating in like a nice, lively, bright Jack Harrow, another sativa in that, in that family, um, I love a little bit of coffee right after it's like, that's like the perfect for me, the perfect afternoon or like 6 PM enjoyment. You know, a little joint, a little bit of coffee, and I'm I'm uh, I'm in a bright, uh, euphoric mood for the next three four hours, and then by the time kind of that's all worn off, it's it's time to go to bed and maybe maybe puff a little indica to come down a bit. But um, yeah, I really enjoy coffee and cannabis. I really feel like it's a great combo. You know, it's not a great combo. You know, you, you know, it's not a great combo. Sonic and teeth, dude. Have you seen this trailer? I got a little bit of a look at it just before the podcast. A little peek. Yeah. Nice, nice. Did it jettison you into the deepest recesses of of terror? I felt emotionally confused, to be honest with you. It had things that I loved and things that I I winced at. Let's let's each say one thing we loved to get started. Let's let's start there. Go ahead. All right, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is Robotnik. I feel like that worked out. Yeah. I feel like that was okay. I I like I like his vibe. I like what's happening there. Um, you know, doesn't look like Dr. Robotnik necessarily uh, as much as I'd want him to, but it, he's a great he's a great analog for that. You can fly too close to the sun, I think on likeness to Dr. Robotnik. You know what I mean? There's you can get far too close to to that. Um so I I like what they split in the middle. I dig that. I dig uh the inclusion of uh, the gentleman who plays Cyclops, um, his name, um, John Mar- something Marston. Anyway, he's the gentleman right. who plays uh, Cyclops. He's great in it. Now, let's at the same time say one thing. No, we'll do it separately. What did you not like? Um, well, I mean, it's the, uh, the teeth, the teeth and the overall body shape. And I have to tell you, literally sitting here as I'm, as I'm perusing some of the trailers um, and, and taking another look, it appears that... It appears that they've actually redesigned Sonic since that trailer came out. And I'm looking at it and yeah, they've, they've nailed it now. Sonic looks exactly like Sonic. But old Sonic, I feel, is destined for um, perennial memeing. I feel like this is the, this is the new face of memeing. So he, here's what I think happened. Let me, let me float something. I got a conspiracy theory. I got to float out there. Sonic classic was always the intention, I feel like. I feel like what they did on the tip of this is they said, let's put out something that's so god-awful. Because what you said before, teeth and head shape. You're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog's teeth and head shape. Dave, as if Sonic got into a Cronenberg-style transporter accident with, like, a teenage kid because he's he, like, body morphed. And uh, he, he looked similar to what we know and love, but enough differently that your brain said, no, thank you. And I think on the, the whole time they had Sonic Classic on the back burner, on the, on the shelf to pull down in response to the internet outrage. Because the internet loves nope, I'm wrong. two I'm wrong. things. It I'm wrong. Be- Sorry. Ba- ba- bad information, Dan. Bad information. They haven't. This was an art. This- yeah, no, this was, a, this was some fan art. 
Okay, wow, okay. that's that hard-hitting journalism you count on us for. Boy, we got you. Facts. But I mean, my my I think my theory holds true. They will pull the Sonic Classic off the shelf because the internet loves two things, to get furious about a thing and then to be appeased. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, so, okay, let me let me re- re- revise what I said. Sorry for setting you up for failure there. Um, yeah, no, they're... This is there's not they're not fixing live action Sonic. So let's go back to why it's terrifying. He's he's like he looks like someone put someone's nephew in a Sonic suit, right? The legs are too um too lanky and and little boy like, and his face his face is horrifying. The teeth and the way that they exist in his mouth. He doesn't have a big enough smile. That's the challenge, Dan. It's not that he has human teeth. Make no mistake, the human teeth are really scary. But it could work if the human teeth weren't so small and beady and his mouth wasn't so small and childlike. If he had a big grin, because if you've ever looked at Sonic the Hedgehog, that guy's got a big grin. Goes from almost ear to ear. I think Huge Mouth Sonic could be equally terrifying. No, Huge Mouth Sonic would not be terrifying. It it's it's the you feel good oh, about I it. feel good about it. I feel good about Huge Mouse Sonic because that's what he's there for, man. He's he's always got that half a face smirk. That's the Sonic look. Right now he's got a little mouth and little teeth, and that's not okay. You know what I always got me? A, a hedgehog has like quills, does it not? Sure. Yep. So and this hedgehog it doesn't doesn't really have quills traditionally. And it's blue, so this is less of a like a terrestrial hedgehog. This is I would put forth this is an extra dimensional hedgehog. Can we agree to that? That's accurate. Yeah. He is an extra dimensional hedgehog. And so I, what I'm wondering is is he a hedgehog in he, where he comes from? That's just what a hedgehog is. That's a that's a that's a really good existential question. I would say he looks a lot like the kind of he looks like a stuffed animal that you might buy at a garage sale that smells like cigarettes. That's what he looks like right now. He looks like a, an ill-timed birthday present for a child that is like tertiary to you. I'm, I'm talking it's uh, your uh, your spouse's bef- best friend's kid. You know, you're like, oh, it's a birthday. Okay, okay, truck stop, boom. That's what you get. Right. He's he's turning 13. He wanted an Xbox. You got him uh, a, a, a flat Sonic the hedgehog ripoff and that's what this looks like anyway enough about sonic anyhow this episode of purple dungeon squid a podcast about weed and video games and sonic the hedgehog is brought to you by weed and video games and also overexcited chickens overexcited chickens they're a clucking good time come on you had that one in the chamber i didn't have that one in the chamber i actually hadn't even scrolled you did. i haven't even scrolled to the the uh, pr- the promotions yet i was panicking actually oh well played a clucking good time. Very nice. I like that one. Well played. Well executed. Brought to you by poorly planned scuba diving expeditions. Hey, Jim, were we we're supposed to go up now or down now? Was it up? Was it down? You can't hear me, can you? Oh, you're, a, you're a, we're out of oxygen. There you go. Brought to you by tight pants. <laughs> tight pants. They want to know what you've got going on downstairs, and you let them know with your tight pants. Can you feel the blood in your legs? No, there isn't any. Are you ready to fly a jet fighter into the sky? You are, because those pants are tight. Tight pants. Those are some tight pants. Tight pants. And finally, brought to you by Octogenarian Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're mutants. They're turtles. They know karate, but if there's more than one stair, they're not going to make it. Ah, osteoporosis, octogenarian mutant ninja turtles. Perfect candidates for Metamucil. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Well, if you'd like to sponsor the show for real, 
or would like to recommend a game for us to play or something for us to do together as a community in a fun, collaborative way, go ahead and send us an email, purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, Dan's going to keep coming up with his nonsense. All the time. Hoo-ha! Dan? Yes? Can you hear me? You're coming through loud and clear. Who's a special boy, Dan? Are you a special boy? I'm a special boy. <laughs> You're a special boy. Good boy, Dan. Good boy. Um, yeah, dude. So we played some video games. I actually managed to play some video games over the past week, which has been a real treat. How it's been uh it's been a, a whirl yeah it's been a whirlwind of the of a of a past 30 days and I've pretty much only gotten my switch in so I actually managed to reorganize my uh my gaming room at home mm-hmm. and spend some time with my PlayStation 4 oh which as we learned a few months ago is not not long for this world PS5 coming mid 2020 are you are you jumping on that what do you think well i mean i'd be jumping to a platform that had not yet materialized so i mean I definitely am going to skip the PS4 Pro, um, you know, just because my PS4 is still kicking. But uh, I'll be I'll be looking for probably a launch purchase. We'll we'll see if the dollars and the cents line up because uh, you know PlayStation has known to be a hefty couple bucks at launch. But uh, it's looking tantalizing with with titles like the ones we're seeing. Those are games I'd like to play, so it has my attention. Yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a real stickler. Generally speaking, I'm not a launch console purchase kind of guy. Um, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I find that by the time Christmas rolls around, there's usually a sale, unless it's the Switch that we're talking about, of course. Um, but in this case, I think PS5 is uh, is a no brainer for me. I'll be it's especially with these launch titles that are that are lining up. It's pretty impressive. So I think uh, I think for me, PS5 is a launch pickup. But um, I digress. You know, we uh, I had had an opportunity to sit down and play a little bit of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is a game that I've been wanting to pick up for a good little while, um, and that I had the um, I had the good fortune of finding uh, on sale at a local a local uh, pawn slash video game store. I guess you could call it. Uh, it was twenty bucks, so hard to beat twenty dollars for um, for an awesome title like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Have you uh, have you taken a look into this thing we talked about a few episodes ago? Yeah. Did you pick up two copies by chance? I didn't pick up one, and even if they had had another one, I would not have picked up one uh, for you, Dan. They would have stopped you at the border anyway. They would have said, "Hey, listen, you're over your assassination credence uh, duty free limit, so we're gonna have to hold on to that." And they just would have skipped it. Yeah. You, you know, I, I don't know what it is. It's like with digital media. Um, you know, I like, sorry, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about with digital media. With uh, physical copies, I really like the thrill of picking up a copy um, used. Mm-hmm. For me, it's actually a more, it's like a more satisfying retail experience. Is that weird? You know what I mean? Like finding a game that came out only a few short months ago uh, for a great price and taking it home and knowing that it's been pre-loved and that I found it somewhere is more gratifying to me than buying it in the store for seventy nine ninety nine. It's genius. It's treasure, it, and you can't lose because let's say in theory that you threw the disc in the tray and you hated everything about what that game had for you. You could gleefully throw it into the garbage can as hard as you possibly could, and that it wouldn't sting. Not like that eighty or ninety dollar price tag that we're seeing at a lot on a lot of releases. 
You know, I think the last full-priced um, video game I bought uh, was a Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. And I bought that because my daughter really wanted to play it. And I wanted to get the, um, the Pokeball with it so she could enjoy that. But prior to that, I think the last time I bought a title on launch day was Monster Hunter World. I just... You know, I'm uh, totally fine with waiting a couple weeks to get a game in, you know, and, and I find that um, the pressure to not buy a launch day release actually has helped me enjoy, um, has helped me enjoy some of the games in my backlog a little longer. You know, I've got this little, a little bit of an unspoken commitment to myself to, to look for the game and to find the game uh, in a spot that's not, you know, on the day one shelf unless I really, really want the title. And it's paid off both in the pocketbook, but also um, in my backlogs. I've, I've gotten around to way more games because I'm not, or rather I should say I've had a more thorough experience with way more games because uh, I'm not feeling pressured to pick up that title on lunch day. Yeah, for real. And I think a lot of gamers are right there with you. I think we're actually slowly floating away from the pre-order, which is the opposite of what you're talking about, because gamers have been burnt so much recently by games that come unfinished, full of microtransactions, and game studios are slowly getting the message that they can't do that. Uh, You know, Anthem and Fallout 76 come to mind. Um, You know, that not only are we not pre-ordering as often, but we're waiting a couple weeks to see what the actual game is. Not what they said we were gonna get, but what actually came out. Yeah, I mean, it's anecdotal. I'm sure there's still plenty of people pre-ordering and doing the damn thing and day one release and blah, 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 because there's a lot of fun there, right? There's a little adrenaline hit when you're among the first to, uh, you know, to pick up a game. There is something to be said. And, and again, for a launch title that I'm really excited about, I'll pick it up on day one because there's something fun about popping it in the tray, you know, firing it up and playing through it and then also reading reviews and, and seeing the rest of the gaming community come together on it and, and talk about it while you're, you know, you're fresh to it. Um, that being said, though, you know, with with advanced copies and what have you, and that's no, nothing new, it's been happening for a long time. But generally, there's, you know, uh, first cut reviews and even complete game reviews available, like, days or even weeks before the game actually launches. So, you know, for me, I think it's more valuable for me to, you know, uh, hear people's opinions that have actually taken the time to kind of dive in and, and swim around in it a bit as opposed to, um, you know, those day one uh, reviews that, um, that are you know, being churned out uh, en masse. Yeah, like it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of dirty tricks being played in that arena. Uh, uh, there's an NBA game that dropped that in the review window leading up to it and around launch, uh, the microtransactions were uh, turned down. The rate in which things would drop was turned up. And once everybody had reviewed everything, uh, the company then uh, turned everything to the more uh, the more profitable, less drops, and you have to pay for things like haircuts. So it, there's some the companies are watching that too. They want to get that juicy good review, but then they want to get those microtransaction dollars. So there's a little dance happening between um, reviewers and, and companies. Yeah, well, either way, found my copy of Assassin's Creed Odyssey for a smoking hot deal and um, popped it in the tray with very few expectations. And listen, it's been a very well-reviewed game. Like, uh, I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out, I want to say mid-October, maybe late October of last year. Um, So we're talking about six, seven months in. And, um, you know, I found a very stable game that I enjoyed quite a bit. And I can tell you a bit about it. But have you have you had any exposure to it? Do you um, did you did you? 
get an opportunity to to tool around it at all, Dan? No, I haven't played. I've I've seen some gameplay. Okay, so it's um, I think the first thing that comes to mind with Assassin's Creed Odyssey because you know I'm about eight eight hours in. I want to say um, so by no means am I am, have I exhausted it. And uh, all indications are that there's an enormous amount of content available in the game. I haven't even gotten to any of the uh, the naval combat like ship stuff yet. Um, which is exciting and, and appeals to me. Um, you know, the uh, it's a similar system to some of the previous games. But what comes to mind first is the uh, the world building that Ubisoft has done in this game. So, um, you know, you boot up Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and the way that they've imagined the ancient Greek world uh, is yeah, it's really beautiful, man. It's like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sea. You know, there's um, I, I don't even how do you how do you describe you know uh, the way that Ubisoft has managed to create site based adventuring so you know caves and and villages and uh, points of interest where there are many side quests happen if you've ever played an Assassin's Creed game you know that there's lots of that plus collectibles and you know loot galore and different um, uh, paths to follow as you're going through the game um, and they've done so in a way that very brilliantly brings to life uh the you know the ancient greek countryside rolling hills um you know thick luscious canopies and um and you know the characters and the the buildings themselves are all very uh very definitively rendered to be um oh god i'm going to say the word evocative of ancient greece so how is that for a honey dripping you know terrible <laughs> terrible uh terribly superlative uh, way to talk about the world. You got away with words, my man. And these Ubisoft guys have a way with worlds. You know, they've gotten really good um, at recreating cities, ones that previously they had a lot of information about, um, you know, like Paris and and uh, and England, things like that. And and they're breaching more into places where they have to fill in some gaps. But you can tell that they're good at what they do, and and it's a labor of love that comes through on the screen. Yeah, and I do, I do, I am talking mostly about, you know, even in the early, especially in the early hours of the game, a lot of the natural part of it, um, obviously with a high, high definition, high graphics, um, that's a weird way to say it, like, the, the, the level of graphic fidelity, uh, fidelity, sure, let's go there, sorry, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye, because I have a coffee brewing, <laughs> just so we're clear, I got but a, the level I got of graphic fidelity, too, it's no problem. Jesus, the level of graphical fidelity that's going on in this game means that there's going to be some weird graphical glitches and bugs here and there, like draw distance issues and stuff like that. But by and large, you're looking at a seamless game that looks like a postcard, right? Um, I, without getting too fruity, I don't know how I can describe to you how enamored I am with the the visuals in this game, other than to say it makes me want to take a lot of screenshots and it makes me want to turn on the game just to just to roam around. And that's you know that's interesting because games like Red Dead Redemption Two, I haven't played it. Um, you've talked extensively about it. There's a lot of exploration that happens in that game because of the dynamic events going on there. And there's cool things to strive for in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. There's cool reasons to check out every nook and cranny, but more so than just finding another storyline thread, more so than just finding another NPC to interact with. I'm doing it because the world's been rendered so well and it's so imaginative. And this game, more than any Assassin's Creed, in my opinion, um, really plays up the uh, mythological side of Greece, right? More so than, for example, happened in, um, 
uh, origins. Uh, so there's a lot of fan- it feels fantastical too, and uh, I really I really get down with that. Really get down with that. So let me let me ask you an opinion on something. There's an option on at the beginning of the game that you can turn on, and it's probably in a menu somewhere. You can probably toggle it, but I haven't gone looking. And you can turn off points of interest. So when you get a quest from a uh, from an NPC who says, "Hey, go here and murder this person," or you know, "Hey, go deliver this thing to whoever," or "Hey, go investigate this thing," they'll describe to you in the quest text and in the dialogue where that thing is in relation to yourself, but they won't put a pin on the map. And this kind of flies in the face of um, most today's uh, open world game development, right? Like it's not something that um, you see often because these maps are sprawling and massive. And um, the conventional wisdom says if a player spends too much time wandering around, they're going to get bored because, uh, well, it can artificially extend the amount of time it takes to complete a basic or simple quest. I've turned that option off. I've, ins- I've, I've uh, selected the option for there to be no waypoints on the map, and I'm finding it's greatly adding to my game experience. What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? I love it. I mean, that's so fascinating because you're kind of forced to get into the boots maybe of a, a character in that period. You know what I mean? They wouldn't have a satellite image and a waypoint finder. Uh, I've, I found... This sort of, uh, in, in what I'm playing right now, Shadows of War, where you can fast travel places, but I kind of like traversing it because they've given me a lot of great traversal tools. I can uh, ride a Karagor or use some Wraith sprinting, but also uh, it lets me pick up little pickups along the way and keep keep me interested. Now, for you, is the interest the scenery as you travel? Is it like looking around and, and really getting your bearings? Yeah, I think it is. Like, I mean, you know, for me, it's, I'll give you an example. There's a trend, especially with multiplayer games that come out of the East, right? Like MMOs, um, of, uh, games offering the ability for you to auto run to your next destination. It's probably my biggest pet peeve in any game ever. If there is a button that I can press to go to the next destination, I hate you. I'm not playing your game. And it's a weird thing, and I'm kind of at odds with it in my mind, because I'm like, I'm just going to run there anyway, right? I'm just going to go there, and I'm probably going to take a similar path, or maybe even a suboptimal path, and realistically, if my goal is to enjoy the fun moments of the game, why am I fighting the idea that the computer would take me to the next place to have fun? You know, you even look at The Witcher, and um, there's a more light version of that, where you can jump on a horse and, and, and you know, ride the road, right? You just hold the button, and the, ro- the horse will follow the road. And so you've got this, this wide spectrum of like totally navigating yourself without a waypoint or a map. And then that evolves to navigating from waypoint to waypoint, which is how most um, open world games go, which, and then, you know, evolving to, um, you know, a, a path that you can follow by holding a button and then a full automated experience. And I find the closer I get to a fully automated experience, I, I lose respect for a game and I just don't want to play it. It, the and I think the reason is, think the reason is that it uh, takes me out of the game, ruins my immersion, and maybe it's too blunt a um, too blunt a uh, a showing or too blunt a demonstration of the underpinnings of the game. You know what I mean? 
it yeah. feels like the game is designed with nothing interesting in between those waypoints. Right. Which ruins the idea that something cool could happen at any point in a world. Yeah. I, buddy, I know what you mean. Like, I'm right there with you. And what separates me to when this works and when it doesn't work is uh, when it's appropriate. And I know that sounds broad and sweeping. And a game like this, it sounds like, and what I've seen, it's because everything that connects those pieces is fully fleshed out and interesting, uh, you know, it to to your eyes and your ears and the experience. Uh, you see that in Red Dead Redemption, uh, you know, and you can see that in a lot of well-crafted open world games. And I got to also think of it as a filmmaker because you d- you don't necessarily get every beat of the character because you have limited time. And so you don't necessarily see him making his breakfast and do his transit to work. You get the key scenes. So, you know, I have respect for somebody who's chopping out stuff that is isn't essential to the experience. But sometimes immersion is the experience. That said, uh, I don't think necessarily, uh, you know, we should... It should always be that way. I like being Mega Man and getting dropped at the beginning of a, a quote-unquote level and it going flashing like ready and then go. But, I mean, we're talking about, you know, vastly different things, obviously. Yeah, I mean, with open world, I think that the challenge is I have a lot of fatigue personally about the waypoint-to-waypoint um, gameplay model, right? Yeah. Uh, did it a lot in MMOs too, right? You know, wow. you go, you collect like 80 quests, they draw, you know... uh they draw a perimeter or a or a or a, a zone that you should go in to collect your ten furs and then go talk to this person and you know you, you play those games for long enough and the feeling despite the fact that the combat systems which by the way are really good in uh, in Odyssey but despite the fact that the combat systems and the setting and the classes and the characters and everything about it is different the feeling feels the same cuz you're going to a place and then you're going to a place and then you're going to a place and it's not that having no waypoints makes that any different, but what it does mean is that going to a place means I have to think about where that place is as opposed to my eyes tracking up to the minimap and following the compass to the, to the next location. And I think it's a really important distinction. I think it's, you know, uh, for open world games, maybe something that is worth trying on for, you know, the next generation of, of open worlds because... I know for me, the idea of tackling another open world game, whether it's an Assassin's Creed Odyssey or something in the vein of Breath of the Wild or, you know, whatever the next Elder Scrolls title is or what have you, it feels exhausting. Yes. Right? It feels feels exhausting to start from zero and, and work my way through by bouncing from waypoint to waypoint. Yes. Um, and for some reason, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, removing that waypoint, which is sim- just feels simple. You know, it's small change. Removing that waypoint let a lot of air back into the room for me. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like, yeah, I didn't feel like I was going to get railroaded from from waypoint to waypoint. And for this to work, you already touched on it, that the game's got to be good. You can't cheat by, by, you know, teleporting around everywhere. So if you're going to make me walk around your game, you, there's, you can't hide. You can't sweep under the rug the unfinished bits. Sure. Anyway, so, you know, the, the, I think the, the world building um, and the scenery and the graphics, of course, that realize that world are, are a big part of what make Odyssey amazing. And when I think about Odyssey, you know, there's a couple other things I'll touch on. Um, but when I think about Odyssey, it's the landscape that I really, uh, the landscape and the environments that I really latch onto and that really make me excited to turn the game back on. 
That being said, there's a lot of really cool systems. Um, I'm a big fan of the fact that this game feels a lot more like an RPG, and they start by letting you select either a male or a female protagonist. And that was, uh, that's cool, right? You know, I mean, uh, it's not something that's been done in Assassin's Creed before. It's been a very character-focused kind of game, and by that I mean the character that Ubisoft hands you. And it's the same here. You know, I chose the dude. His name is Alexios, right? And he's got plenty of connections in the world already when you jump into his shoes. He's an established little bit of a rough-around-the-edges character with some questionable allies in, uh, in Greece. Um, and, you know, he's interesting, certainly from beat one, but you don't feel like you're creating a character from scratch. You don't feel like you're, you know, walking out of the RPG mold and getting ready to impact the world. That being said, um, even just the simple selection between male and female uh, begins to feel like a, a more custom experience. And then the elements like selecting from your talent trees. So there's a really cool talent tree system, which I really like because every talent that you select materially impacts your game. Every, every talent you select, I mean, most of the time you're getting a new ability to use that feels really distinctive. It's not just your attacks are more powerful, or this is a the same sword stroke with blue on it as instead of red, right? There's there's some new mechanics that are introduced, um, and that plus an extremely broad loot profile, like a like a huge amount of loot, like Dan, a staggering amount of loot that you can loot. Lots How much loot. loot can you loot, Dan? If a Lots loot of could loot, loot all some the loot. loot. Yeah, I'm looting loot with my loot that I looted. It's pretty good, pretty good. Plus, all the weapons can be upgraded, so if you don't want to loot new things, you can just upgrade the shit you already had. Love that. So, yeah, lots of it's just the game feels like it has lots of customization in it, and the same thing with uh, with the ships. I haven't gotten to the to the to the the boats, the ships yet, like the the sailing around the Aegean and and you know fighting off pirates and stuff. Haven't haven't gotten to that point yet, but I understand that the boat's super customizable. You can recruit crew from NPCs that you fight throughout the game and, and um, by all uh, means of communication, those are, that's a pretty extensive, pretty robust system. Um, and I, I'm really floored by the fact that there's also a, it's almost like a notoriety system where you can actually have assassins or uh, bounty hunters, I should say, sent after you if you're misbehaving yourself in the world and being a jackass and murdering people. Um, and they're powerful and they'll come hunt you and they'll create that little X factor while you're going about your business running quests and doing stuff, um, you know, they'll just, they'll parachute in and not, not literally, but they'll appear out of nowhere and just start ruining your day. So there's, there's just some interesting little variables like that, that create a, what I would say is a unique experience in a somewhat story driven sandbox game that I can really appreciate. Yeah, man. When they shake it up, um, with external factors, we were talking about immersion before, boy, do you, does that on the rails experience start to feel like a web of interactions? Like, and it kind of blows your yeah. mind. You, it, we're, we get a little bit jaded. We're we're kind of old dogs to this game, but then a game does something like that, and you're like, oh, you're you're mixing it up, and I don't know what's going to happen next. I love that feeling. Yeah, it's good, man. I mean, like, the thing is, is you've got a billion and one side quests, as you might imagine, right? You know, all out open world games. Actually, side quests are one of the things that are a bit of a catch-22, because if I find out a game doesn't have that in an open world, like if you were to tell me, hey, I'm making an open world game, but it's a very linear storyline and there's no there's no side quests to take on, I'd be Trash. like, that's not an open world game. What are you talking about? Trash, get out of here. And yet, the sheer volume of side quests that are available in this game and, um, you know, let's call it secondary tier quests that you need to accomplish in order to advance the storyline is also equally daunting. 
<laughs> There's just too an many enormous quests. amount. Of, Whoa, what's with all these almost quests? Almost too many. I'm a busy guy. I know. It's fucking millennials ruining questing, right? Like, it's... <laughs> what, I, I don't know what I want, Dan. I don't know what I want. Of, of questing. I don't know what I want, but I want it to... Anyway. Make it uh, perfect. If, if I were to peg... Make it make it for me, uh, Ubisoft. Um, if I were to say, you know, how do I feel about the breadth of content and, and how Ubisoft does in introducing story beats versus, you know, let's call it filler content. I would say the filler content is pretty good. Uh, there's probably too much of it. And overall, I like it. That's kind of where I'm at. Nice. Good, good boil down. I, I got to tell you, whenever yeah. I hear uh, the ship combat, and the ship portion of this, my ears perk up like a, a schnauzer. I've just, as soon as I hear ship stuff, I'm now I want to play it. Um, I don't know what it is, but that's Dan my, likes that's to my do special ship place. Stuff. Hey, can we do ship stuff together? Just a couple of things. Get, can we do ship, ship stuff? A little ship to ship. What would it cost? What would it cost to do a little ship stuff? What, what would it cost to get boarded? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so Shiver only, me, Timber. Like, let me give. Let me give you. So, I'm thoroughly enjoying Odyssey. I got no issues with it. Here's another thing I like that they did. First opening scene of the game, I get to be Leonidas, and I'm down with that because I got a strong. I got a. I got Greek blood in my veins, right? Make me Leonidas. I'm probably okay with the game. Now he's a turn. <laughs> he's pro- a teenage mutant ninja turtle, the one with the katana and the blue bandana, right? Get out of here. Leave. You. Ugh. That's borderline racist. Really. My ancestors hate you now. But anyway, um, you know, opening scene, get to play Leonidas. And the nice thing is, is that a lot of these talents that you unlock, including a Spartan kick, which is, yes. Powerful yes. Spartans. This is Sparta. Um, this is Sparta, in fact. Um, you, get to, you get to use some of those abilities as Leonidas. So when you get thrown into uh, to Alexios' shoes and you have slightly less abilities, you know, you're dealing with more of a vanilla uh, combo sequence to start uh, in this action RPG. Um, you still have had a taste of what it means, what it feels like to be powerful, right? And they and they link those things together through. Um, there's a broken spear and some story notes, whatever. You'll figure it out when you play it. But uh, that was a really cool. That was a really cool opening sequence. The only thing I have to say about the damn game is that the dialogue is super hokey. A little it's, bit clunky. It's eh? real hokey, dude. Like everybody. Has to say Malaka like eight times. Oh, <laughs> like, like it's like they, they 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 tried to create a Greek experience and they ended up with like every uncle I've ever had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's doesn't feel like a stoic ancient Greece experience, and maybe that's okay because let's be real, like human beings in that time period probably weren't, you know, uh, as serious as maybe. Um, We'd like to imagine how serious the ancient world was. People probably fucked around just like you and I are doing right now. Uh, apparently, they but, were incredibly crass. Are they incredibly crass? Are they dropping some expletive on the regular? Yeah, it's a pretty crass game. Okay. Um, okay. And, you know, I'd, ex- I'd expect that out of a game, game uh, based around Greeks. Sure. We're pretty crass people. But I don't know, man. Like, just even some of the... Di- like, it feels big, fat Greek wedding. Like, it feels... It's like some of the dialogue is cringy. Like, just listen to it. It's the worst of the relatives that I've met in my life. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that makes it culturally accurate. Can something you be decide, both Dan. racist and accurate at the same time? Oh, my. Well, 
we're not going to answer that here on the Dungeon Squid. No, let's leave That's that right for damn there. sure. Hey, uh, fun fact: yep. Sparta at the time was very often known as a Lacedonia. So, Lacedonia uh, got its own descriptor. So, if you said someone was Lacedonic, it meant that they were a few words. Because where the rest of the uh, Greek city states did a lot of flowery diplomatics and you know where where did a lot of maneuvering in the diplomatic realm. Uh, the the Lacedonians were very direct uh, and didn't mince any words. So if you call someone Lacedonic, they get to the point and they don't have a lot to say. I don't think anybody in the modern world has called anybody Lacedonic, Dan. Don't don't make me wrong. My position is valid and I'm helpful. People like me. Hmm. Well, thanks, Professor Dan. Appreciate that <laughs> little tidbit. You're welcome. Segway, you son of a bitch. Now. You segue, no, no. Too lacadonic for a segue. You segue. That flowery language is for those filthy Athenians. Now, Andy, no one would ever, no one would ever accuse you of being lacadonic. You're whatever the, uh, the opposite. I, they call you loquacious. Loquacious. There you go. God, God love you. So, Dan, I hear you, uh, I hear you dipped your tip into the path of exile. A little tip dip. And when I put my tip in the dip, it got slipped. And by that, I mean... I was excited about Path of Exile. My good buddy, a respected friend, we'll call him JP, he gave me a ring and he said, buddy, Path of Exile, just look at this skill tree. And I pulled the skill tree up for one of the classes and it reminded me of the giant skill web from Final Fantasy X. And if you don't have it front of mind, I'll, I'll draw a picture for you, a little mental portrait. It's this big web of skills where you might find yourself in the warrior area of the web. But if you wanted to move down into another area, maybe the mage area, you could sort of work your way down there. That's that's what it looked like to me. And so I was excited to play this and I, I launched the game and uh, classic shipwreck. They did a little bit of uh, pre-lore. Feels like a really good and evil angels and demons type thing. I found two to three things right away. It felt like Diablo. And that yep. that could be one of the, you know, it's a pretty well-worn path, good, evil, all that type of thing. Uh, I was shipwrecked. And I started to get into combat. And I found that. I had my mana pool, I had my health pool, I had potions, I had an inventory window that looked exactly like Diablo, and as I started one of my three slash moves, I was trying to find the dodge button, and I noticed that there wasn't a dodge. So essentially, oh yeah, I just had to walk up to things and slash, and hope that they didn't kill me, and that I could have a, a potion, you know, by the time that combat was over, you and I, my heart, my heart fell. Andy, how do you feel about a dodge? I, I mean, I feel like a dodge makes sense in a modern day of action RPGs. I had no idea. Like, so my experience with Path of Exile is I've, I've found many emphatically passionate Path of Exile players um, to the point where I almost like jigged together a parallels um, installation on my MacBook just so that I could play it. Because this game prior to now has been Microsoft only, right? It's it's either on Windows or on Xbox. But now there's a PlayStation 4 uh, release, which is, I believe, what you played it on, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. So these passionate Path of Exile players, I've heard um, uh, glowing reviews from people who have uh, exiled themselves, haha, from Diablo, who have left Diablo 3 to play this game and have been playing it ever since. Yeah. I don't know why, 
the graphics, um, like the vibe of, I think it's Ray, Rayclist or Rayclast, the, the name of the, the, uh, the world. Um, the vibes definitely look cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was certainly interested in what it was saying, but um, if you're telling me that the combat feels like a stripped down Diablo without a dodge function, well, that's that feels like off on the wrong foot. Yeah, I mean, like, let's talk bright spots because I know uh, this game has thrived for a while, so there's people that love it. And I, I'm not saying that it's a bad game. It just didn't have what I needed. So bright spots, it's clearly a love letter to Diablo. So if you... Like, if you're totally into that style of play, you'll probably find something for you there. I also can tell that there's about 80 hours of content plus um, of free to play and that the monetization is gentle. I, as far as I could tell, you could very, very comfortably play this game, um, you know, without having to get deep into monetization or even touch it at all. And, you know, there, there's a huge skill tree. So I can see people having fun. Uh, I, I got through the tutorial and I hit the first massive lore dump in town and I was just out because uh, with repetitive low skill combat and what it looked like is builds that were, it was very difficult to undo a misallocated skill. You know, I hopped over onto the old interwebs and I found there's basically only a couple builds that you could have that would work end game. Uh, I just, I was just done. You ever, you ever been, like, I didn't, let me be honest, I probably, to give it a fair, fair shake, I should have played it another hour, but it just stepped out of the bounds of what I consider uh, a game I would like to play to be that I was out. Let me, let me put another fine point at it. 2018, to me, was the year of the dodge. God of War put such a fine point <laughs> on what... That's fucking hilarious. What the dodge... Like, it's... The dodge in God of War is so perfect. There are two dodges, like a full dodge and a half dodge. And it made the game so dynamically fun for me to f- have no dodge button. It was, like, sacrilege. <laughs> well, let's get the hell out of dodge, Dan. Yeah, buddy. As, yeah, sorry. I'm all about bad puns today. Um, yeah, I don't know that that would be a deal breaker for me. I, you know, I, I feel like there's got to be some merit in this game because folks like it. Um, the, was the lore dump not fun? Was it not a good lore dump? You know, it just you didn't it enjoy showed the dump? that it was from an era gone by. It was scrolling text in the overhead window of a character that was just like, I'm like, hey, how are you? He's like, lore dump. I'm like, oh, no. And I talked to the next guy. He's like, he's like, I'm like, how you doing? He's like, Lord Dump. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, uh, hey, do you sell what Lord Dump? I'm like, I've, please, please, no. And I, that was it. Excuse buddy. me, sir. I'd like to buy a bow. I, I need a new bow. Lord. Long ago, in the age of gods, a singular man fought for the world of rare class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They understand. say angels once ruled. I'm, no, thank you. <laughs> No, no, thanks. I, I, please, just give me my waypoint, and I'll be on my way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Um, I get that, man. Listen, I could probably. I'm going to dive into this. This is what I'm going to say. We probably can't say too much more on Path of Exile. I like the fact that it has um, a large variety of uh, skills available. The idea that there would be limited builds at Endgame uh, rubs me the wrong way. But then again, that's most games. Most games have optimal builds. The challenge is, is that you never really know if that's just the meta community making a judgment call or if like genuinely every build has been scoped out. And if you've got a breadth of builds available from what you're what you're claiming is a 
an extremely large skill tree. It's possible that, you know, there's some generally accepted best builds, but it's also possible that you could still have some fun elsewhere. Do you know of any of the other end game activities? Like, is it like Diablo where you've got a storyline to work through and then you just play through the storyline again on a harder difficulty? Or is there like dungeons or end game content or something? Do you have any idea? So as I understand, they're pretty revolutionary in their end game content. There is both like, uh, a quasi randomly generated module style end game type content that you can continually go through that I'm told is pretty fresh. Hey, Put that on the back of the box. Yeah. So guys, uh, I I apologize because I I'm not familiar with the things that I'm talking about, but that's what I got from what I'm reading is that the, that the end game keep does a good job of keeping it fresh and there's a uh, people describe it as infinitely playable. So I'll take them at their word on that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, and put a bullet in my head when I say this, but wish it was on Switch so that I could play it mobile. Uh, and by mobile, I mean when I'm traveling. But um, but being that this is a PS4 release, I'm I'm definitely going to dip into it because it's been a good, it's been a good, like, you know, big, good year and a half that I've been looking into this game. So I'm excited to check it out and let you know my opinion. Also, the uh, the monetization, when you said unobtrusive, um, what, what are they, what are they, so this is a free to play title. This is not a purchase. Yeah. It's free to play and download it on the PS4 today. Damn. I didn't know that. I thought it was a pay to play game. And, uh, what do you know what the monetization is for? I think it's like bank space. I think there might be some cosmetic items. I think you might be able to, there might be some pay to win mechanics. All I know is, uh, I, I didn't, I don't hear complaints about it. So it, it has to be unobtrusive because, you know, uh, we take issue uh, with monetization, but I mean, it's a free to play title, so it belongs there. That's where it belongs. Yeah, I mean, just reading about it here, it seems that a lot of people are not just um, OK with the microtransaction model. They're actually really into it. Uh, cosmetic, changing the visual aspects of your characters or spells, additional character slots, additional room in your stash. Um, sounds like it's been done well. Yeah. So yeah, this I mean this has has my uh, has my eye for um for some play. So I'll be I'll be checking that out, Dan. I'll be checking that out. I know you spent a lot more time with Shadow of War, Thor. War, Thor. War, Shadow of War, Lore. Yeah, that. Uh, Shadow of War, yeah. which which makes me excited because this is a game that I both loved and also didn't spend nearly enough time with. Buddy, um, Mord- how was your how was your experience? Mordor: Shadow of War, second in the series, um, available on your PC, your PlayStation Four, and your Xbox One. Uh, you know, this is a Monolith and Warner Brothers partnership, and uh, I played it on the PS4, buddy. When I popped the disc in the tray, they had me at jump. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, extended. They had you a dodge. Uh, pair are back. The Ravager and the Ranger are back in Middle Earth, and uh, you get back in the seat of Talion, uh, the resurrected Ranger of Gondor, uh, who is murdered, and then uh, brought back to li- life by um, the Wraith Spirit Celebrimbor. So, for those of you that aren't uh, big Lotro nerds, Celebrimbor made uh, the rings for elves, men, and dwarves that were secretly going to be controlled by the one ring held by Lord Sauron. So he's an uh, an elven craftsman that has was killed in a terrible rage and became a wraith himself. So you two have uh, fused together, continue to be fused, and you've set out to take on the armies of Sauron. Boy. So Oh man, that kind of knowledge that kind of knowledge will get you laid. It 
let me tell you, the ladies, they're all, uh, they're in the Mirkwood. So that said, uh, this game does everything the original, all the promises made by the original game that maybe f- uh, didn't quite make the mark, but were still very playable. They've extended it in every other way. They've they've fulfilled on those promises and then doubled down. And you know, I I love the the idea of this game because it goes okay. We're gonna make an original story with some original characters and some well known characters, and you know, write our own path because everything about Lord of the Rings is about the armies of Sauron coming to them. They're entering Mordor, uh, or sorry, they're leaving Mordor, they're entering uh, Gondor, they're they're coming into the Freelands. I love that this immediately flips it on its ear and says, well, what's going on on Mor- in Mordor? What what happens if armies were to, to show up on their front doorstep? And I, I gotta say, it works on every level. And the the story throws you right back into the action, right at the beginning um, so I'm just going to tell a little bit about the opening. Shelob is in there. Do you know who Shelob is, Andy? Oh, my favorite big spider lady. Boy, they give the spider lady so much awesome runway for story. And I'm not going to tell you a lot about it, but basically, like everybody knows, at the end of uh, Shadow of Mordor, you're godlike, and they can't have you entering the world with all your superpowers. So they depower you with a cool story beat thing, and that story continues the the first couple the first act of the game and uh it's brilliantly put together and it it really shows you the contrast of what Talion wants which is to save the free peoples of middle earth to protect the people of gondor and ta- what Talion wants which he wants revenge on sauron that comes out really early so those two kind of contrasting goals keeps playing out through the game and just gives these brilliant story beats between the two characters. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I like, I like shadow of Mordor and, and, um, Oh my God. Uh, shadow of Mordor and shadow of war, uh, because there's a really original story in there that, um, that justifies the gameplay, which is the, you know, endless loop of you die and then you're back to life. And that's, that's Celebrimbor's little, uh, little magic there. Um, but I'm curious cause I know you played, I know you played shadow of war, uh, and beat it and did all the things. Um, and then, sorry, shadow of Mordor you did. And then shadow of war, the sequel, um, are you, have you beaten it yet? Or are you still halfway through or where you at? It's a massive game, Andy. And I, I can't understate how massive this game is. Like it, when you finish the first act and it zooms out and shows you the different territories around Mordor that you're going to have to. Uh, do an infiltration into uh, start taking out commanders to take out war chiefs um, to take out uh, forts you go wow there's a lot to do here and what's beautiful is there's many ways to go about it and they're all a ton of fun uh, because uh, one of the powers of the one ring is you dominate the minds of orcs so you're actually putting together your own army um, to to sort of mount these sieges against these forts, as well as play through the story as you go, and there's there's umpteen ways to go about it. So on one fort, I uh, co-opted some captains, and then had them infiltrate the ranks of the war chiefs into their retinue of bodyguards, and then had a little betrayal mission based on having them infiltrate. So you're showing down against this war chief. And then his bodyguards, which are actually your guys, 
turn on him in the middle of battle and you play that out. Uh, and you have, uh, you know, that choice, you can either dominate him or kill him. And as your your own troops take on these missions, they go up in level. And uh, you will be shocked by the nemesis, nemesis system, these systems of all these these orcs. They're so full. These randomly generated orcs all have their own dialogue, their own behaviors, their own traits. I have not heard one piece of repeated dialogue in the hundreds of orcs that I've encountered and dominated and murdered. It is Im- incredible. Yeah, the nemesis system is pretty neat. And I think, you know, when you peel back um, Shadow of War, it's it's the it's the defining element, right? Which is, uh, you know, the, the that hierarchy of orc commanders that um, will come across you and, and will, you know, you'll have to either kill or dominate and turn to your side and then they get replaced by other orcs if they're fallen or, or defected and those guys rise to power and get stronger and stronger. And, you know, that, that whole system is fascinating as well as the unique orcs that you end up meeting, which are all, as you said, randomly generated. And, and that's one thing that I really liked in my, again, I, I did about five hours Five or six hours in Shadow of War. That was one of the uh, one of the titles that I, I think I, I think I defected from pretty quick because it felt um, to me pretty close to the same gameplay loop as Shadow of Mordor. Um, but what are you liking about it? Like, what do you what do you what is what's keeping you there? Um, having played the original, is there something fresh and interesting, or is it just uh, you're enjoying more of the same? Well, yes, but both yes to both your your assertions. More of the same and new things like. What I love about this game is, uh, like I was mentioning before, I don't teleport around uh, that often because running around, running from point to point, there are things to pick up. There are orcs to to, to kill. You can pick out certain orcs have a little star above their heads. They have items that you want to pick up, gems or, or um, cash. And as you're running through, you may spot orc captains or you may be spotted by orc captains. I had this incredible moment where I was ambushing an orc captain. He outleveled me and he was starting to kind of beat me back. He had a number of combos he's putting down on me in a cursed weapon. So uh, as he stabbed me, my wraith energy drained and I could no longer use my, my wraith abilities. So I called in my bodyguard. That's a, a special orc out of your troops that you can assign to be your left-hand man or right-hand man. And when I called upon him, he didn't come. An enemy orc that had oh. ambushed him showed up. And he's like, oh, I expect you, you're expecting someone else. Unfortunately, they're dead. And then he joined the fight. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, this is one of those moments where the game shakes it up so hard. I didn't see that coming. And this game is full of moments like this that come from all these delicious angles that make the world feel organic and alive. Uh, I was running through the dark forest of a certain territory and a Karagor leaps out of the bushes and tackles me and I have to quick time my way out of getting killed by this creature. It It is so good at, at making it feel like the system is expanding and it has its own ecosystem. Captains are fighting each other on the enemy ranks. They're ambushing your guys. You can send your guys to ambush them. It, it, it's pretty cool that way. I I got into a little bit of a a little bit of a, a a a loop doing this one function in the game. The game lets you pit one of your guys against one of their guys in 
like a pit fighting situation and you don't you can't control oh. it at all. You watch your two guys fight or their 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 orc and your orc fight in like a stadium style where you, you don't have any interaction on the fight and their abilities and their re- each other's retinue, your own troops fight it out in this little pit fight. Cool. And so love that. So what I've been yeah, that's and, and is that entertaining to do? Like, have you done that off? I just I mean, obviously you're not in control of much, so I, I I don't know if the novelty wears off or if it's something that you want to keep doing. Well, let me speak to it. So what I was doing, Latherin's repeat style, is I'd send one of my guys I want to level up into this pit fight, and if he won, great, he leveled up and sometimes got a special designation depending on how he won the fight or if he'd won many fights they can level up get epic status get legendary status it's kind of funny to see what they say to each other because they each have their opening dialogues but if my guy lost the game world returns it opens back up you have control of your character again and I would go dominate that captain because obviously he's better oh (laughs) so I would I, I see. So I've run this this pit fight four or five, six times, ending up with either one orc who's leveled all the way up and got a bunch of, of great skills, or I've swapped up my uh, my orc until I'm, you know, I've gone through five different orcs and he's equally badass. And it was just another way to play the game. You don't have to do it this way, but it was a neat way to sort of have my have my uh I'll level up my orc team, possibly infiltrate the enemy's forces and kind of see what the game's AI does when the AI fights the AI. And I, I actually clipped a few of the, the fights up and put them up on YouTube. Um, so I'll share them with you. And uh, if anybody's interested uh, in, cause I could share, I could share my YouTube on the, the podcast. People would check it out. So get us at us uh, at our email. Let us know if you'd like to see some of these, these orc battles. Ooh, orc battles, orc on or- hot orc on hot. orc action. Yeah, and I have to Spicy. say, it got a little yes. nail-biting sometimes. Like, my work shows up with uh, Karagors, these sort of warg-type creatures, and the enemy shows up with giant trolls. One's got a flame weapon, the other one's got a poison weapon. Who's going to win? And it's it's been to the brink. One guy's down, he's about to get finished, and, you know, he gets knocked off by a troll, and uh, the guy almost died. He has a, a like a rally power where he, he goes into a rage and pulls all his health back and takes the battle back from the brink. It was surprisingly entertaining. Now, some of them are pretty boring. Uh, if you have uh, the right matchup uh, or the wrong matchup, two guys will stand on either end of the arena and just sort of fire arrows at each other. And uh, luckily, there's a two minute and 30 second time limit on these fights. I've never hit the limit. I'm not sure what happens, but uh, there are a couple of groaners and I, I murder them both just just out of principle. Well, that that seems like good, uh, good, it, solid information. It seems like the right thing to do. Um, so, yeah, you know, just to round it out. Andy, I think you should come back to this game. You'd love it because, number one, they've pushed the microtransactions that people really dusted this game on. They've pushed them into Mount Doom. They retooled the game. It's a perfect example come of on. why... What? Smeagol style. Yeah, buddy. And it's a perfect example of how um, microtransactions can pervert a game. Because when they took them out, they had to retool the game to fit without the microtransactions, which means to put them in, they had to adjust a couple things. Uh, and you are a Lotro lore guy. There are so many cool beats that uh, happen in the story. I'm not going to spoil them, but 
you will be down. You encounter a forest spirit that Andy, if I if I told you anymore, I think I sent you a shot of it. It is cinematic. It's beautiful. And if you're a Lotro fan, it is fascinating. The to- yeah, for sure, man. I'm all about that Tolkien lore. Yeah, feeling good about it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I feel you. This game to me is one that can be picked up and put back down. I, I don't know that I necessarily feel compelled to rush to the end. I don't think that I'm in it for the story beats, if I'm being honest. I think I'm in it for the atmosphere, and I think I'm in it for the nemesis system. Um, but yeah, definitely open to picking it back up to to explore a few more of those beats. And um, yeah, I, I I love that you love it. I love that we've uh, we've both reviewed this game and both felt pretty positive about it. So, And speaking of angry ring spirits, Dan, I think it's just about time that we calm our inner spirits with a little bit of spiritual healing, a.k.a. some weed, some smoking weed. I love it. I love everything about it. Let's get down to that smoke sesh. Alrighty, Dan. Shall we uh, push off on our journey of better relaxation here in the beautiful afternoon? Yes, let's stride manfully into our delightful future. I like that. I like that. Um, I want to talk about something else after we've uh, we've hit up these little smokables, um, which is that City of Heroes situation, which is cool. Let's talk about that in a minute. But uh, Dan, what did you bring for the class? What do you got? What do you got in your in your paper there? Uh, it's funny. I I thought I was out of uh, fresh nugs to review for the cast, and I was digging through my treasure trove, my weed cabinet, and I found a black bag, and it it brought back a memory. This is a black bag that uh, I got from an underground dispensary that was uh, operating in some of the gray areas um, of legality in Ontario before we, oh we went full legal. And it was so neat. Mm-hmm. Um, what their theory, la, 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 la. what their theory was is they would seal this. It's a beautiful bag. They would seal this, the, uh, marijuana in this black bag that was designed to be very difficult to open. They sealed it shut and clipped it shut. And, uh, you either had to, press extremely hard or do something at the other location because it has a zipper that clips into a tab um, that is very, very, very hard to open. So I guess the idea that if you were to be stopped by the, um, you know, the police, uh, they would have to obtain a warrant to open this bad boy and they just wouldn't be bothered. Um, But it's a very cool bag. It's sealed in the smell. And I forgot that I had this fella. So uh, I was happy to pull it out and talk to y'all about it. That sounds like a pretty naughty bag, Dan. Oh yeah, like it. It looks like it should. Con- That's a naughty bag. It sh- looks like it should contain a, a shard of uh, of an ancient artifact, a, you know, a piece of a uh, uh, Morgul blade or something. But uh, yeah, for sure, buddy. Right. So what's the sorry? What's the strain? Uh, uh, what's the name of the strain? It's called Cinex. It's a it's a cross. Sorry, a Cinex. C i n e x. It's a cross between. Dude, that is not that is not weed. Mm. <laughs> you got to throw that. That's like that's that's some mind control shit. Brought to you by Genova Corp. Uh, that's what that is. Synex. Well, that's not. weed. It is glowing powder. Should I be worried about that? I'm concerned. I'm concerned that you're about to become a minion of the uh, the our dork dark corporate overlords. <laughs> the dork overlords. I actually do <laughs> the, see the dork corporate overlords. Yeah, I, that's some Final Fantasy VII shit, man. That's the uh, that's some 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 cloud 
versus Synex some, stuff. Some Genova particles. Yeah, I do see neighborhood cats starting to flock from the area. It's, it's having a strange effect on the environment. Well, all right. All right, so Synex. That's, again, it just feels... How do you spell that? C-I-N-E-X. It does sound like... A, no. It does sound like no, a... That's medication. It does sound like a daytime medication commercial. Side effects include swollen toes <laughs> and the ability to converse with rocks. <laughs> Synex. Ask your doctor. Um, okay, cool. Well, you're smoking on Synex. I have a distillate pen. So I'm traveling. I'm in the United States of America. Um, and I've been provided with a, uh, a pen full of pineapple kush distillate. Distillate is not usually my go-to. Um, a lot of people love, especially in the U.S. Uh, U.S. market loves distillate pens. These little 510 threaded cartridges filled with um, very discreet, vapable, um, not too potent. It's not like, uh, uh, I shouldn't say not too potent. It depends on the distillate. But what's nice about distillate is generally um, it's not as potent as the equivalent strain in in a shatter form because it's been somewhat, let's call it diluted from a layman's perspective, and I am indeed a layman. Um, So yeah, you can vape on it a little harder and not have to worry about, you know, the same impact that you might have if you dabbed a gram of it, right? So uh, this distillate pan of pineapple kush smells really cushy, um, and I'm excited to uh, to give it a go. I, I don't have all of the flavor notes on the nose, uh, but maybe you can go through your bud, and then I'll uh, I'll get this this brewing. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, this guy, uh, although it's it's definitely had some time in the cabinet, still has a really delightful orange peel smell. Like that, like as if you just squeezed an orange peel into the air, it actually has a sort of a real juicy orange smell and not so much the sharp citrus that I'm familiar with in, in a lot of these sort of citrus blends. I'm also getting just on the nose, a skunk underpin. It's that waft of just that potent skunkiness, but it is not forward in the bud. It, it's in the back. It's definitely in the back. It's taking a back seat to that citrus. Now, nice. I could be wrong, but I cannot think of another citrus, skunky blend. You don't often come across those two uh, mixed together. I mean, lemon skunk comes to mind. Well, sure. Sure. I, 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 I get you. Well, I, fuck you, Andy. <laughs> no, no, but I mean like. Well, fuck you for that one like, very much, Andy. Thank you. Like, citrus is like a, like a fresh idea. You know what I mean? The idea of, of like a fresh flavor and skunky usually comes with those, the cush, the woodiness, the earth. So it's inter- it's an interesting cross, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, if Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've not personally spent any time with those two flavor notes. And just for the purpose of dropping a couple more in case you're interested in exploring some more of those strains, you could be, uh, you could be going down the path of citrus skunk. Um, you could check out uh, some orange skunk, some blueberry skunk, some lime skunk, some pineapple skunk, some fried skunk. Some skunk on the car barbecue. Andy, did, did you some, open up Leafly just to bust me wide open, just to put me on blast? I, I did. So I, I want did. you yeah, to citrus skunk, I, orange skunk. I want you to open your trousers, flip out your schwanz, walk to the front hotel door, and just close it right in there. Just give it a close. Uh, grapefruit skunk, cherry skunk, <laughs> cheese skunk, skunk tangerine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Strawberry skunk, chocolate skunk, grape skunk, banana skunk, apple skunk, mango skunk. 
So, Andy, on that list, what do you think the most egregious skunk cross is? What's the one that should not have I been skunk? I don't. I don't want. I don't want any cheese skunk. Cheese skunk? I don't want that. You're like, it's smelly, but I don't want cheese couldn't skunk. it be so smelly that could blow out an entire room of humans, just make them leave immediately? Chocolate skunk also seems questionable. Yeah, I don't know. Chocolate, you know, skunky chocolate, I'm okay with it. Um, if it's a fruity skunk, I'm okay. Like, just what you just said, you know, like citrus or, or fruity blueberry, yeah, that's all fine. Yeah. Um, but a cheesy skunk, I just... Mm, Gotta draw the line. Nah. Gotta draw the line. Although cheesy skunk actually is just, is just I think, just cheese. Now, if I'm looking... Wait a minute. Let me let me make cheesy, sure I'm not crazy. Cheesy, here. No, cheesy skunk. Cheesy skunk is a thing. Cheesy skunk sounds like it would be uh, the villain in the Hedgehog movie. Yeah. Yes, if Sonic's arch villain, cheesy skunk. You know what? I'm totally wrong here. Cheese skunk is, is literally just cheese. So cheese is descended from a skunk number one phenotype, uh, and it was called cheese because of its sharp, sour aroma. So, um, yeah, cheese skunk is just actually cheese. And buddy, I've had some cheese and blends, it sounds, and it mm. is so incredible how much it smells like cheese. Like, the, the one strain mm. that I, I really enjoyed was Jesus. And it, Jesus! Che- it feels like it needs an, excl- an exclamation. It's like, Jesus! Jesus! Okay, buddy. Cool. Yeah, cheese cheese queens. Uh, cheese queens. <laughs> cheese, <laughs> cheese queens happens if you take too much Cinex. Consult your doctor immediately <laughs> if you have cheese queens. Uh, oh God, cheese strains are renowned for providing a spicy, savory flavor in contrast to the sweet, fruity, and herbal flavors found in some other strains. The terpenes are quite varied and come together to form its powerfully pungent smell—the rancid smell of octanoic acid. Merges with the sweet, fruity tones of methyl, tart, butyl, ether, and ethyl methyl acetic acid. There is also isovaleric acid combined with more foul smelling terpenes like hexonic acid, which smells of barnyard animals, and methyl mercaptan, which smells like rotten cabbage. Awesome. Ah, Christ. Um, yeah, that's so. It, it's this is all off of Royal Queen seeds, by the way. Royal Queen, I believe, is out of uh, the Netherlands, but um, it's it's interesting and it's true. Uh, the umami, and they're talking about umami here. That's that savory <laughs> flavor note, right? Umami, umami, umami. That umami uh, cheese thing. And listen, man, I love cheese. Like I'm a cheese fan. I'm a bit of a lactophile, if God you will. Damn it. Find me a. I've never met a cheese board I didn't like. And you right? know, but up sometimes top of the cast, I sit- when you said you were a coffee snob, you could probably just take the word coffee out of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. You can lick my cheesy Gordita. Umami Gordita. Um, but yes, the uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I look down at the cheese that I'm eating on a cracker and I take a whiff. And half of my brain is like, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, put that in your mouth. And the other half of my brain is like, what the fuck are you eating? This smells like hot trash. Um, and it's that little bit of uh, push-pull in my mind that I think makes cheese a wonderful thing, including cheese strains. Cheese strains, more of what ails you. Cheese strains sounds like something that a, like a dairy farmer gets after he's been like spinning uh <laughs> spinning milk for too long oh i got some cheese strains now i'm with you man like oh, I, I got I'm the ha- cheese strains i'm hanging out with a couple folks in my house and, and there's there's some some beer and some wine and some cheese out and 
Like I've 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 sprung for a little bit of the fine cheese. So there's an aged cheddar and there's a gouda and, and there's another cheese that I'm enjoying. And then one of the girls like, um, this one smells like feet. And I'm like, no. And I go and I take another smack roll and put it on a crack and smells like, yeah, it smells exactly like feet. And you've ruined it for me. <laughs> Yeah, it does smell like feet. It's the feet-like cheeses that I find I'm I'm least partial to. Um, they call them... Uh, I have a great book. If you guys are cheese fans out there, there's a book called House of Cheese, referencing DeBruno Brothers and written by DeBruno Brothers Company uh, in Philadelphia, which is my, my cheese mecca. I love that place. Um, and I think they call them Big Stinkers, and they've got this kind of oniony body odor smell. That just, it's like very savory. Um, Again, you could call it like an extremely intense umami flavor. Uh, And yeah, I've gotten those notes off of weed before. And it's intriguing and also sometimes makes me want to vomit often. And like sometimes it's like sickeningly sweet. And that's when it really gets me. What's the book called? It's called House of Cheese. House of Cheese by by DeBruno Brothers. DeBruno Brothers. You can put that on the shelf with your whitest books I own. (laughs) Right next to like the complete World War One, World War Two history. Get out of here, man! What are you talking I about? A, I like a, cheese. A book, a book. It's not a bad thing. Listen, I'm not creating it as a negative. I'm just saying uh, a cheese book written by two brothers with titles such as Big Stinker in them. It's a super white book, and I love that about it. You, you ne- don't Ned Flanders me, man. Don't put me in that category. <laughs> Listen, I know you have Snoop Dogg's coffee table cocktail book like listen there's a lot of different books that you own but you know it's that's that's just that goes on the white guy's shelf i'm trying to think of another book that would be up there it's like uh to kill a mockingbird would be up there <laughs> anything with atticus what? finch <laughs> to kill a mockingbird is not a white guy but anyway whatever fine <laughs> fine i think to kill a mockingbird is maybe the worst example you could have given given the subject matter of to kill a mockingbird i, I want you to picture i think i think you want to picture Atticus Finch being like oh old scout hop up on my knee the thing is is that a fella whether he's black or not deserves a fair defense in court that when I think of uh Atticus Finch and who's the actor that played him oh what is his name the classic classic actor and it's he's beautiful in the role I love it yeah did you see the movie no I read I read the book I read the book it was uh it was a foundational moment in my in my understanding of human equality and oh yeah and the good things. Yeah, what is it? Uh, to kill a mockingbird. How about we smoke some weed, Dan? What do oh, you? If it's not, if it's not that? clear, I have already smoked the weed. <laughs> uh, and it's. I'm not sure because we were talking oh, about cheese, this. but the cheese flavor came through, and I think it was just because we were talking. Gregory Peck, the actor is Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck, what a what so a guy! I want you to know that these these hot 1962 polls—they're exactly what our audience is looking for. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's going to help our. Uh, I think that'll help our search engine optimization, Dan. I think that that's what that's going to do. Mentioned Gregory Peck. Put him on. <laughs> Get that. Get that podcast going. Synex, a hybrid of parents, Cinderella 99 and Vortex, has a mixture of flavors ranging from sweet citrus to earthy skunk. The effects are clear-headed and uplifting, perfect for building a positive mindset and stimulating creative energy. Consumers enjoy Synex for its ability to improve mood. Now, how did you find it? 
on the tongue, Dan. Are we talking about so much foot cheese that it was it was hard to really put together? But on the mouth, uh, I, I didn't get as much as the citrus. I did taste a lot of skunk. Um, and I guess you're mentioning skunk is the derivative uh, of that the cheese family that you were talking about, or the opposite way around. Cheese is derived from a skunk phenotype. Um, so I got that, and I actually did get some woodsiness, which was interesting. Oh, nice. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I am smelling this pineapple cushion. I have not participated in yet. I'm really excited to do so because I'd like to be on your level. Holy. Um, let me just take a big sniff into my cartridge here. It's not usually the best way to get a flavor note, but let's let's give it a go. Why don't we? Mm-hmm. Okay. That is straight pineapple. There's really there's not much else to it. That is straight pineapple. And I just uh, I realized that this is a draw-activated cartridge. <laughs> I just activated it with my nose. <laughs> You're like, I'm really getting that pineapple. Oh. You uh you you yeah, main, I just took a- <coughs> you mainlined that cush. You're like cartridge to nose. That was a that was a cart to nose experience. So- I just took a I can't express to you. I just took a big hit through my nose. Can I ask a layman question? <laughs> was that was that heated? Um, a product or was that un- oh. was it unheated? Oh, it's vaporized. It's, That's vapor. So it was after it was vaporized. So what did it feel like going through your your schnozzle there? I didn't realize it at first. Um, and then it didn't hurt. Nothing. And then now it just oh, does not feel good. The sinuses are burning. It's all burning. <laughs> I've really got a like a defined pineapple. Uh, smell in my entire sinuses. It, That's what's de- happening right now. Was it defined? Your your sinuses are now legally related to Jimmy Buffett. That's how much pineapple that got. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, buddy. Um, do you want to go ahead and give us the lowdown on what pineapple... I, dude, honestly, all I got here is pineapple. I got no other flavor notes. There's a little bit of like dieseliness to it. Uh, maybe a little gas on that, but that just might be citrus, to be so, honest. like I, It's just straight citrus. Straight earthy citrus. Let's like because pineapple is a little earthier. Yeah. It's not like a lemon. Yeah, it's like a woodsy citrus. Gotcha. So from our friends over at Leafly, what is pineapple Kush? As read by Jeremy Irons, <clears throat> pineapple Kush. By the way, Synex was from Leafly too. Of course, marijuana strain has an aroma of pineapple with accents of caramel and butter. The flavor is described as a sweet, subtle pineapple taste. With a mint undertone. While the breeder of the strain is unknown, its parents are Pineapple Kush and Master Kush. These buds are brown green color and covered with amber crystals, with a THC content of 15% and a CBD of 14. The buzz is commonly described as cerebral with a light body sensation. Oh, uh, yes. And that is 0.14, not 14% CBD, just so we're all clear. Oh. Good. I only say that because 14% CBD would be really awesome right now. Well, Andy, now we all know I'm, you've uh, actually, fallen for my clever trap. We all know you're reading the the Leafly page and thus cheating at the conceit of our little Leafly exercise. Well, I just... 
I just skipped over just here. Gonna, I wanted to see oh, some photos just, of the actual you're weed, just man. Quickly fact check me as if you weren't fact checking me on the fly, you dirty dog. Well, I just wanted to see some photos see, and these nugs. You know I, how, I mean, the thing about Leafly's photos, though. Do you know how I know though, you're lying? Because you're segueing mm. away from it. And listen to how high your voice went. Listen to how high. No. <laughs> I feel like Beaker. Me, 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 me. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. Um, I, I have to apologize, Andy. You don't deserve this kind of litigation. I think it's a side effect of uh, this uh, the sweet nug. I think I went into Gregory Peck style cross-examination on you there. Yeah, I think Synex makes you a real dick, Dan. I would, I would, makes you a real I dick. Say, I gotta be honest. I got some. I was gonna say. So I have a nasal inhaler here. <laughs> it's now. That's what it is now. You know, if you ever hand somebody that, you have to tell them you put it in your nose. It's only fair. Yeah, fair enough. I probably won't share this cartridge. No, I mean, like, it's strange because I didn't realize I'd be experiencing this kind of nose trauma inadvertently. And by the way, I'm not taking another hit because I'm quite stoned at the moment <laughs> off of that nose hit. <laughs> um, but I did just unbeknownst to me that that would be happening. I, I actually received this afternoon as a nice gift from a friend, a little nasal inhaler. Hey, And this is one of those nasal inhaler. Yeah, a little nasal inhaler you find with eucalyptus or what have you in it um, that, you know, opens up your nasal nasal passages and feels quite nice it's also got cbd in it it's a cbd nasal and hazel in nasal and hazel <laughs> nasal and nasal and hazel by organibus nice. shout out to organibus and uh yeah man it's really nice mm, fresh and crisp like the uh uh great pine forests of oregon it's like somebody freshly That's cleaned the pine floors inside your nose that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's like the inside of my store. My nose is a retail store. And someone just waxed the floors. I want to talk a little bit about City of Heroes. City of Heroes. Have you, uh, have you ever heard of it, Dan? City of Heroes was like this very uh, revolutionary game uh, in the MMO sp- space. Essentially, it was a copyright violator <laughs> created on the internet uh which we let you roll up your own heroes and <laughs> come on play them in a map well i mean like let's be serious like it, 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 the thing that it is made after is an entirely copyrighted space like you're gonna make a hero if he's a big strong guy it makes you immediately think of the hulk and yeah you can create your own stuff inside there but they're playing on these fun archetypes that's why it's fun it lets you play out your superhero fantasy in like a World of Warcraft style space, but they 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 made the, the the missions and the the actual story cycle, the 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 game loop as you call it, very unique. Did you play it at all? No, you know what? City of Heroes is one game that I uh, never really landed on my radar until it was about to be shut down in 2012. Um, and then there was another superhero game. The only other superhero MMO is called Champions Online. And that game just never appealed to me. I think it's by NCSoft. Uh, Champions Online, I think. Yeah, I think Champions Online is... No, it's by Arc Games. Yeah, NCSoft and what other did, games does uh, Arc Games City do? City of Heroes. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Arc Games, which is Perfect World, and that's why I wouldn't have played it. It's because Arc Games is Perfect World Entertainment, and I don't know if you ever played Perfect World, um, but that was an MMO that came out of the East um, about the same time, like 2010, 2011. Played that game for like a whopping two hours before deciding that it needed it like it was it was probably the 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 first online game I played that I felt offended that I had joined it. Just rampant microtransactions like 
monetization all over the place, loud, bright, like really garish cosmetic items and clunky gameplay, a real meat grinder, a real Skinner's box, that flaming pile of garbage. <laughs> so um, when Champions Online came out, I was, I was, uh, I was, nope, no, nine. And um, actually, apparently, Arc Games also did Star Trek Online, which is reasonably well-reviewed, although I've never played that. Either way, back to City of Heroes, that shut down, NCSoft shut that down back in 2012, and it seems like over the past six years, there has been a secret. Is it a secret? Is that what this is? A pri- it's, a, it's a private server that was created. So, Andy. But what do you mean it's secret? Andy, let me lay it down. This server was on the dun 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 dark web. And it's just. The dark web. It was an IP address that could be pointed to across the public internet that was not published. It didn't have a front facing um, portal. And if it did, it was. You know, not being search indexed or whatever you happen to be. Uh, don't Google the dark web. But uh, and what made it definitive <laughs> as a thing is this wasn't just a secret server that continued past uh, the closure of the NC Soft supported servers that went down. Started in 2012, I think it went down in 2016, 2018. People were heartbroken. But the new server, the pirate one, had the player data from the day they shut down the old server so not only could you play this this thing and have the game that they but but you could have your characters too oh wow cool i mean so you have to imagine that someone from the development team like (laughs) what was that 2012 so took the entire game and all of its database and burned it onto a cdrw (laughs) and put it in a jewel case and popped off to Baghdad where they uploaded it to a private server on the dark web. Well, someone handed something to someone and there are names being attached to the server. There are people, if you read the article that's on uh, oh, this totally sourced article on Kotaku, um, they, they, there's some names attached to it which are not from the development team of the old game, but they have the player data. It's clear that something was made available or someone was hacked or something was handed off because... You know, that's pretty live data. Hard to, hard to, uh, you know, pull the wool over that one, right? Yeah, yeah. So you asked, so you said don't Google the dark web. <laughs> I have no idea about the dark web, but I have to imagine that there's not just like a, like a, like a link that you can click on, like, welcome to the dark web. Please sign in with Facebook or Google. Like, I'm pretty, no, that doesn't exist, right? Uh, no, it's, you don't dial up with AOL. It's so funny. Um, the thing about uh, having protection on the internet and feeling safe on the internet is the more you try to protect yourself, sometimes the less safe you are. Sort of like uh, I, I, it's uh, like people they say how to not get involved with you know demons or dark energies. You just don't get involved and you get don't get pulled down. The example for that on the internet is if you're using Tor, which encrypts your traffic, it makes your traffic less viewable um, by anyone who is sniffing or picking up your data. But it also makes you an encrypted data stream um, on any line you're on. So you go, oh, which ones am, am I interested in? I want to see what's in that encrypted data. So it also puts a target on your back. I see. Yeah. If you build uh, you build a big fence around it, people are going to want to jump over the fence. Sometimes hiding in plain sight is the best way to go, which is why I leave all of my privacy needs to incognito. <laughs> incognito. When you're only... <laughs> I am 100% confident that Google is not 
seeing anything that I do in my incognito tab. Incognito, when you only want nobody you know to know what you do on the internet. <laughs> Strangers can know. Anyone I know, <laughs> anyone I personally know, they can't know what I do. Well, for now. <laughs> I mean, there will be a day of reckoning where whatever, some dude at Google will download everybody's incognito search history from, you know, uh, the past 10 years and, and individually individually market it to all of our uh, friends and family for a ransom. He uses, so, uh, he uses Border Gateway to uh, regionalize you and uh, establishes patterns with cookies. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, and I mean, at that point, so the thing is, is that everybody's search history becomes available at once. Maybe we just live in a more honest world, man. <laughs> I, I mean, you touch on a real salient point because what what you're seeing now is lies don't stay lies or uh, un, unknowns as long as they used to. You used to be able to, you know... L- for instance, as the president, lie about a thing, and then nobody asks you any questions about it. You know, like, let me give an example. Like, uh, JFK, uh, Marilyn Monroe jumped out of a cake in front of his family. Happy birthday, Mr. President. He got away with that. And then fast forward, you know, uh, uh, to Clinton. He, he gets done in for a lewd and lascivious act that nobody saw, nobody knew about. Compare that to Marilyn Monroe jumping out of a cake. You know, it's like you just can't keep the stuff that's things hidden like you used to. And uh, everyone's going to have to deal with it someday. <laughs> like it's it's coming up to yeah. a point where lies will be a thing of the past. I can't even fathom. Well, you know, um, when we enter the world of minority report and someone gets a bingo ball that drops into their palm and they can come and arrest you for something you haven't done yet. I will uh, quickly point them to your many families scattered across North America, your secret families, Dan. You know, I, I think society has a, a responsibility. So if you future ball me and you're like, well, you're going to kill somebody. I'm like, and whose fault is that? Can we all get together and figure out why I'm killing somebody? Let's solve that problem. Yeah. I don't think that that future looks very democratic, Dan, if I'm just going <laughs> to pull something out. I don't think that that's going to look like the, the kind of place where you get your day in court. Just going to go out on a limb on that one. You know what, uh, Mr. Wells, I have to agree with you. Yeah, very good. You know what bums me out more than the dystopic future, Dan? What's that? Dry weed. Mm. Nothing worse than dry weed. Am I mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our good friends over at Mary Jane put together a little article called dry weed how to revive pot when it gets parched and don't call it pot but i digress um call it whatever you let want let me ask you dan call it, what do call you whatever you want what do you, where do where do you store where do you store your weed what's your what's your move i got to tell you i like my move it's uh you know the big type of cabinet your grandmother might have had china in or, pos- okay. or possibly <laughs> like a like a like a proper buffet or possibly <laughs> you got a buffet or possibly um, I think this one could have also doubled uh, doubled as a very large, nice liquor cabinet because it has the ability to set on, okay. sit on the ground, but it's up on a piece that was made with that has drawers underneath. Anyway, I digress. It's, it's at reaching level and I currently store on one side of it um, my whiskeys and on my other side of it, I have uh a couple stacks of uh, preferably black jars that I keep my my uh, my pot in, and uh, anything yeah. that's uh, light exposed. I, I have a couple jars I t- toss stuff in, but I have a nice menagerie in there. You can see it all, sort of select before you open it. 
And I, I it's kind of a, it's, I wouldn't go as far to say a weed humidor, but light doesn't hit it, it the way it's situated. It never gets hit with daylight. Um, and the, even in the most sealed containers, there's an aroma that comes out of there. So having it all in one place makes that aroma contained, but also in its right spots. So when you smell it, it's, it's part of the process. You get that, you get that experience. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, I quickly learned, so dry weed to me is, um, as soon as weed is crispy, I'm no longer interested. And there's been some challenges with licensed producers up here in Canada, right? Like we've had some real crispy weed being marketed. And the reason is because, uh, prior to legalization, there was a lot of growing happening for the medical market, um, in anticipation of the legal market. And so we actually have a lot of cannabis that was packaged early on in 2018 or mid 2018. That's still being sold now. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that becomes problematic because weed does expire and does get crispy and, and that's important to know. Um, if you're a retailer to be looking out for best before dates, et cetera. But, um, in any case, the, the number one thing that contributes to brown, crispy, dry weed is a lack of humidity and too much sunlight. And I learned that the hard way. Cause I bought about, it's about two years ago. I bought about I guess it was around six grams of three different strains that I was excited about, right? And um, I popped them all into some glass jars and put them in my office. And while they weren't in direct sunlight, they were certainly exposed to sunlight, especially at certain hours of the day. And within like a week, all of it had turned into just terrible cannabis, like crispy, a little brown, not amazing, right? Um, So yeah, I mean... Reading through this article, there are a couple tips. What do you do to keep your uh, your, your cannabis moist? I, you touched on it, buddy. And I mean, the first step to not dried out uh, product or, you know, you, you do a way you don't ruin your experience is you try to smoke stuff within a year to two and a half years. I've heard some stuff about free, freezing. That's maybe an option. But uh, you make sure the light doesn't hit it and you make sure you don't get in this, this situation um, to, to find it that way. So I... The light, keep the light away, especially. Uh, and I think the second portion is uh, know how to use your weed, which is if you have a big a big jar, don't be pulling from that big jar all the time. Go to a smaller um, receptacle to work out of. That way you're not continu- continually exposing that large batch to um, the moisture escaping when you open it. Yeah, that makes sense. There's also some other products on the market, like um, I know Bovida, and then there's another one, but these are little moisture. So they're, they're basically desiccant moisture packs, and I've started putting those little packs in with whether I'm putting my weed in a glass jar, and typically I use smaller glass jars for exactly the reason you mentioned, um, or if I'm you know keeping them in a larger baggie or the packaging that I receive when I buy it um, you know at a, at a cannabis retailer in Ontario. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put in a little Bovida pack, and that goes a long way towards keeping that uh, uh, keeping that product dry. Um, dry, dry, sorry, dry is the wrong word, but humidity control. The not Bovida, too wet, not too dry. Right, humidity control is the, exactly. Yeah. That's you're exactly right. That's that's exactly it. So Mary Jane did have a couple revivication tips for reviving uh, dead weed. You wanna you wanna get into uh, it? Let's hop right in. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were hopping oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let me let me pitch it. I mean, uh, when when we're, you're doing any kind of revival, you want to do it in small batches. So start with a container, um, you know, sandwich or bigger. Put the appropriate amount of of your your weed in, 
Um, and whatever remedy you go with, you want to make sure that whatever you're putting in there isn't touching the weed. That's key. But um, a couple of things that people will put in there to sort of accompany that, that, that flower and bring it back to life is think about stuff with moisture in it. Uh, a big, a nice neutral one would be you can just put a cotton ball straight in there, a paper towel bunched up. You want it wet but not dripping, just sort of moist. So you've done one ring out. You set it beside it. You let the weed breathe with it. Real basic, right, Andy? Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Throw a little cotton ball with some some water wrung out in there. Makes good sense. Um, some other options that they provided were lettuce, which I don't think I would do because I feel like if that lettuce decomposes, it's like creating some issues for me. I think like because you, you do create a you do create a possibility for mold in this scenario, 100%. especially if you're. Uh, yeah, I don't know that lettuce makes sense to me, but um, apparently for some citrusy strains, you can go with orange lemon, orange or lemon peels, which is cool. It's not a bad idea. I might do that for like a super lemon haze. I might, you know, throw some lemon peels in there to rehydrate it. Yeah. And I, the yeah. one thing you're thinking about when you're doing anything with like a, a citrus and uh, uh, like orange or lemon, make sure that you want orange and lemon taste to come into it. If you have some, a strain that you don't think that would be a good flavor addition to, um, you know, be cognizant of that. Because the same things that give the orange peel the smell and some of the flavors are some of the similar compounds that are in the weed. And you know, they will intermingle. Um, the, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is if you have access to distilled water, just like it is for humidors, that's a good uh, way to go because you know that it doesn't have any contaminants or any of the qualities of the water, whether it be very irony or uh, very uh, calcium rich, that won't affect uh, your, your experience either. And, uh, and you mentioned it, always watch out for mold. You're adding, you're adding moisture in there. So you want to make this process like in your rehydration period, don't go longer than three days in a quote unquote rehydration mode. After 24 hours, you should be taking a peek and seeing how it's, uh, it's reacting to the addition of moisture. You might want to move it around a little bit, but hopefully what you're seeing is it getting fudgier rather than crunchier and you're seeing it sort of, um, uh, wake up is the best way I can say it. It will visually change. Usually getting the color will come out a little bit in it, at least in my experience. Yeah. Nice. Well, I've not really rehydrated weed ever. I threw out all the crappy, you know, spoiled weed that I had, which was in hindsight, really short-sighted and dumb. Won't do that again, but, um, that's what happened. Uh, but should I find some dry cannabis in the future? I will definitely go for that. Uh, watching for mold is a thing because the idea of, of smoking on mold, especially with, you know, now with legal weed and the amount of testing it goes through, um, I have no no inclination to consume mold in my cannabis ever again. So I'm going to be pretty vigilant about that. I would also stay away from lettuce like you mentioned. And, and here's the number one tip. If you get food poisoning, uh, typically it's from a leafed vegetable. The reason that you've eaten at a restaurant, the reason that is, is when they grow it, they use manure, which has fecal matter in it. And I have an issue with putting that, mingling that with potentially that could smoke because inhaling uh, that can be deadly to you. And people will say, well, you're burning it. So, yes, you won't get the worst of it. But just the exposure, it'll be it'll be bad. It'll be bad. So give it a skip. Give lettuce yeah, a skip. Yeah, unless you're vaping it. Right. You're vaping all those uh, all those terpenes, all those uh, all those uh, shit terpenes. Yeah. A little uh, little super lemon shit right up in your <laughs> right nose. The old facially in it. Yuck. Yuck. Listen, I want to wrap this thing up here, Dan. Let's go into all the games confirmed and expected for launch on the PlayStation 5, which I'm pumped about. PlayStation 5, uh, more powerful GPU and CPU, some new audio technology. 
a solid state drive, which to be honest, I didn't know that the PS4 didn't have a solid state drive. Um, it's a good thing I don't pick it up and shake it around. It does have a solid state drive. The <laughs> well, new solid state drive, it will be the fastest solid state drive on the market faster than the ones they have today. It's a special project with, I believe, Samsung uh, for uh, an, a revolutionary access speed. I, th- I think it's like 24 gigabytes a second. It's called the 300, so I might be way off on that number. Uh, the other thing is the, the ray tracing capable video card, which is also another proprietary chip, I believe, being made by NVIDIA. Um, and it, it'll be its best in class as compared to what's uh, commercially available right now. So those two elements make it a, a powerful adversary. Dan, are you nerding at the mouth right now? Is that what's happening? Pretty seriously, yeah. <laughs> um, there's also yeah, just... a, a bump up on the audio. It's the first audio jump, arguably, since the PlayStation 1, which had a revolutionary audio chip. I play CDs, if you recall. It, this one will have, quote-unquote, 3D audio. Uh, and if so if you're using headphones, um, it'll have positional beyond just left and right. It'll be able to simulate uh, sounds and surround, which is pretty great if you're... Uh, if you're a headphone person, which I, I personally am. I think Sony's really going the wrong way with this. Right. They need to be uh, dialing it back for the hipster market. Chip tunes only. Chip tunes only. And, uh, and, Eight. and smell-o-vision. Yeah. I want to be able to smell Kratos' breath, which I, I guess would be uh, smell like fish and anger. Most, most likely both of those things simultaneously. So, launch title number one. Uh, Cyber... So, sorry, I'm not sure if this actually is a launch situation. So, this was on Tech Radar, uh, PS5 games, all the games confirmed and expected on PlayStation 5. Um, so, it's possible that these aren't launch indeed, but I'd imagine that given they're announced, well, for the example, the first one here, Cyberpunk 2077, seems to line up with um, with the PS5 launch, but we'll, we'll find out, I guess. Either way, Cyberpunk 2077, I think probably number one, I'd say number one on my list of most anticipated games at this moment in time. Um, dystopian cyberpunk Witcher is basically what this is going to look like. I think uh, exactly. It's a marriage of all the things I love, and by a company that does, makes great games, and everything I've seen about it uh, is wonderful. It scratches a little bit of that itch um, from uh, with the Captain Shepard games, the ones you love. What are the what is it? Uh, Andromeda's Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Yeah, it's Mass Effect. Yep, it's got some of that, and um. I also got a just a wicked vaporwave aesthetic going on, totally. and vaporwave is so in these days, Dan. It's, it's so, so in. in right now. Um, it's like if you put Blade Runner together with Witcher, um, and that's that's exactly what I want yes. to see. Yeah, we all love that. No, that's not Blade Runner. I'm talking Blade. That wasn't that wasn't anything. Mm. Did you just do Blade? Yeah, just I just went Blade. So, I don't know. I don't know why. Wesley Snipes. How's this, uh, how's this cannabis Wes- hitting you right now, oh, by the oh, way? How's so the, 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 the Sixis? So, Saxis? Ceviche? If you can't What's tell... What's the name of it? Cinex. If you can't tell, Cinex is a uh, hybrid cross with a hybrid, so I would call it cerebral, really active. I think our, you can tell that I'm up on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel silly and sleepy. Oh, you got a little Pineapple sleepy. Kush has made me... I feel like my, I feel like my neck has grown into a pineapple... And I just want to express how silly that feels. And it, also, I'd like a nap. Two naps. The old double nap. I'd like a nap. The old double nap. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. I, Death I, I, Stranding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Death Stranding. Um, what do you know about Death Stranding? You know, for a guy that slammed the brakes that hard on Cyber 77, real weak 
<laughs> foraging forward into Death Stranding. I just want to say about Wesley Snipes and Blade, a Blade Trinity had come off the rails so much that Wesley Snipes was only communicating to the director with on post-it notes that were signed from Blade. So he he just he, he was just became Blade for the rest of the filming. Uh, but going on to Death Stranding, uh, Hideo Kojima's first game after leaving Konami. So uh, highly anticipated. So it's Hideo Kojima. You know it's going to be weird and cinematic and have a bunch of revolutionary ideas mixed into it. No matter what he's made, there's always been a, a real uh, next step type of move. And this is a game that people have seen different parts of it. What you keep hearing is, I don't know what this game is about and or what it's doing, but I can tell it's genius. Um, you know, and <laughs> yeah, it's so perplexing. So, uh, motion capture actors, both um, oh, the names I'm um, the guy from The Walking Dead, Norm Reedus is one. He seems to be the the motion capture for the main uh, the main character, and then there's another character played by actually the actor that's going to do the live action Witcher. And his name is escaping me right now. Mads, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, he's a like a uh, right. uh, Finnish, that kind of area actor. And he, classically terrifying dude. He was Hannibal in the show, Hannibal. Um, he's a real intense guy. So, and there's, I've seen guys in spacesuits. I've seen stuff about babies inside people. I think Norman Reedus is holding himself as a baby in some time broken, dimensional, weird future at the center of a galaxy somewhere that's just my hunch to give you an idea of how weird i think this game is going to be but uh i i'm looking forward to it I, hideo has n- almost never let me down yeah i mean so do you have any idea what this could possibly be about well he's made all the metal gear games so it's it's i don't think it's going to be totally divorced from some of those elements in terms of the way it looks and the way the character moves around, but I I think this is a deeply conceptual piece, Andy, and I think that for me to throw a dart at a board would be folly, and it's not like me to not conject. He made all the Metal Gear games. If you like those, I think you have a better better chance. Everything except the most recent Metal Gear Survive, which was a pile of hot garbage, uh, so I hear. Um, he's made all those games, and I've enjoyed them all. Uh, Andy, I think you're you're probably in the same pack on that. I am in the same pack. I don't. I see dead crabs and some dude in like a futuristic Japanese hazmat suit yes. and oiliness, black oil on people's hands. Oil. There's oil everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, so it looks like some some post apocalyptic. What the fuck? Yeah, he's side of who knows what. He's dealt with light topics like uh, children of war, uh, the idea of private military contractors, of geopolitical power shifts. And then, uh, you know, a lot about identity and uh, uh, good and evil through the context of war. Like, not really light topics, to be honest with you. No, no. Kojima does like, you know, he really likes uh, pushing the limits on what people want to talk about. And I admire them about that. Yeah. Actually, I admire that about him. Yes. Excuse me. That's the pineapple coming out. Yeah. And he always does it in a cerebral and I would say inoffensive way. It's like distinctly Japanese in that sense. It, it does not seek to offend. It only seeks to explore. And, and he does that in such a, a poignant way. And uh, I think that, that that's something to do with the kind of storytelling that comes from that part of the world. 
Yeah, got you. Got you indeed. Um, so I'm looking at the next game here, Ghost of Tsuhima. And this game to me um, is w- uh, one of the most promising on the list. I mean, they all seem, these all seem like, like, world-class games that I'm excited to have on the new PlayStation 5 hardware. But Ghost of Tsuhima um, is uh, presumably about samurai. Uh, it looks like something of an open-world story-focused title, some in the vein of an Assassin's Creed. I have no idea, frankly. The E3 uh, gameplay debut didn't really tell me too much other than the combat looks beautiful and, you know, uh, looks like something of a ronin riding through the fields here with a samurai sword and um, some beautiful terrain and a, and a nice looking horse. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, PlayStation blog. So do you know much about this? Cause Play- PlayStation yeah. blog had a little bit to say about it. It's an open world adventure, of course. Right. Feudal Japan. Um, and it's set during the Mongol. In- yep. Feudal, feudal Japan. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I, this is one of the ones that we don't know exactly what, what side it's going to be dropping on PS4, PS5. Sucker Punch, the publisher. Our developers has been very tight-lipped about that, which is funny because there's a samurai movie called Sucker Punch, so it uh, uh, it really connects there. Uh, so it might go PS4, it might go PS5. The graphics we've seen suggest that it very much could be a PS5 in the the dev demos we've seen, um, but that doesn't mean anything. They could they could downgrade it like we all cry about whenever they downgrade the E3 footage we've seen because if it's running on a dev box, right? It's got a super machine, so yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, the graphics look beautiful, but I, I would expect that they would but in terms of a next generation game. Um, there's lots to play with here on Japanese themes, um, you know, during the time of Samurai. Uh, this guy looks like a pretty badass Ronin type fella. Um, a tale of revenge and something, something. So it sounds like, you know, sprinkling in revenge. Uh, what's it called? Count of Monte Cristo style. Seventh Samurai um, style. Feels like a. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Feels like a common common theme and maybe something that you'd want to go hear. Some revenge, a little honor. Get a little honor in there. Like a Kurosawa um, movie, buddy. And, mm-hmm. Well, I, either way, I'm down. There's a katana involved. Let's get in there. Last of Us Part 2 is coming. Not much to know about it. Um, it seems like the vibe from Last of Us Part 2, and we talked about this, I think, when they dropped the orig- original trailer, has got some pretty violent uh, undertones, which are perhaps not quite expected, given the the uh, the more brooding tonality of the first first game. Any any thoughts on Last of Us Part Two? Or, um, yeah, like it's this is another one another one we don't know about. It it's like speculation. It's a game they ported in the past. They did it between PS3, PS4. So chances are, if it does well, we'll get it on both. It's uh, it's a Sony title and. I think they they designed it with portability in mind. Oh, really? Yeah, that that's the vibe I get. What do you mean? Uh, well, uh, the engine they use is very portable. Uh, definitely, they'll be using the that engine going forward, and uh, it's it it's made in such a way like uh, the the Nathan Drake series by Naughty Dog that that it's. Uh, the way that that their technology technologically achieved, they they're easily portable. I wish I could give more specific information than that. <laughs> like uh, I, I'm trying to think of an example of something that would be like if something uses a lot of net code, it can be problems to be ported. Luckily, these don't. That's a big consideration. So like uh, a game like uh, Mortal Kombat that does uh, online matchmaking and. There's a lot of netcode. Those are notoriously difficult to port. That's why you'll notice those types of games don't get ported as often. 
Oh, ported. I'm sorry. You're talking portable as in like PS4 and PS5. I really just didn't know what you were talking about in terms of it being portable. Nice. I thought you meant like. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the last, the last like two minutes have just been, <laughs> I'm just having a quiet aneurysm over you're here. Like, just what like, what do you mean by what do you port? Mean? Yeah. Sorry. I mean ported. Whenever you bring a game from one system to another system, that's I called get it. porting. And also it, there can be some disambiguation because porting can also refer if you have a game that's only available in Japan. If you bring that game over to a different region, that's also referred to as porting. So it's and a port is also somewhere mm. you plug in your game controller. So I can understand that being confusing. You're like, what is Dan? What in the sweet mother is Dan talking about? Yeah, yeah. So um, the other element here, or the other two titles that I'm interested in, um, are Elder Scrolls Six and uh, I think it's Starfield. Starfield, I think, is the name of it. Uh, yeah, Starfield. Um, two two Bethesda titles. Two Bethesda titles being produced, uh, presumably in roughly the same timeline. One is in space, and one is another Elder Scrolls title, and very little information about either of them. Not much, in fact, at all. Um, any speculations, Dan? You want to call anything? Because it's Bethesda's trailer was basically, "Hey, Elder Scrolls Six is coming. Let's pan over a landscape and put the the words on the title." That's about it. Yeah, uh, Starfield seems to be uh, it, a pr- like the promise to be what Fallout seventy six wasn't. It's like it feels like a continuation in the. Um, that that world and that vein of storytelling, if I'm thinking about the right thing, it's this, this Starfield the one that's... No, I don't think so, man. This is a no. Starfield is a straight up sci-fi. Like it's not post-apocalyptic. Uh, I don't I'm, think. I'm thinking about it got, as like else. anything that I'm seeing here. Yeah, anything I'm seeing here feels distinctively like you know the aesthetic is very much Mass Effect. Like the official announcement teaser gives you a gives you a you know oh, planetary yes. view panning down to a panning down to a spaceship. Yeah, looks you know I, I I don't know what to say about Mass Effect, but this is it's kind of like a that kind of vibe. A gameplay reveal. Um, I actually haven't seen the gameplay reveal. Didn't realize there was one out. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're we're looking at some. We're looking at this could very well be Andromeda, right? We got a we got a first person viewpoint walking around the outside of a spaceship. Um, looks beautiful, man, but. My question becomes like, okay, we're creating, hold on a sec. So this is super, super futuristic sci-fi. There was a scene a minute ago that felt a little bit more post-apocalyptic. It seems to pan between the two really nicely. Like, wow. I'm uh, this, I'm sorry. You're hearing like a live stream of my, uh, my pineapple cush brain (laughs) taking a look at yeah, it seems what to the be there's like here? there's a space flight element and then there's like a ground planet exploring element. So I think it's it it gives out a, f- right. a feeling of like no man's sky plus um a, a game like um a mass effect like put together and I keep seeing uh, Fallout references like have it for it to have an RPG element as well. Am I having a stroke? I think that this person <laughs> I think that this person has taken like I'm watching a video the and I'm not YouTube? sure who has posted it. Yeah, they're superimposing. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I've been yeah, I just been so trolled right now. They're superimposing this 
presume i don't can't even believe i don't even know if it's starfield anymore with like far cry 5 yeah they they have they have <laughs> i'm sitting here all time far cry 5 dude. they have some stuff from a bunch of different games yeah you got had buddy some halo stuff i hate everything that just happened it's, please it's slippery out in those Ugh. internets buddy <laughs> slippery out damn there. the internet and you know what google it's your fault too don't show me all these videos as if they're highly credible get out of here don't use google here, don't google. you abuse google use your critical thinking that's skills, what happens sir. when you google when you google live that's what happens you're like i'm gonna just do my journalistic research right now what do i pre-roar how did you no. research credible sources eh. i went to youtube and i clicked on the first video clearly that was my that was my research who the hell knows what this these two games are going to be about there's a grand theft auto 6 game coming in i'm not even going to check out the internet because lord knows it's probably full of full of garbage and and, and broken it's dreams and then there's a yeah final fantasy 7 remake who knows if that's even true who even knows if that's true? Are you interested in a Final Fantasy VII remake, Dan? Uh, the truth is, is that after doing a, my marathon beating of Final Fantasy VII, I'll probably never, because I beat it in one sitting, 76 hours, I probably will never visit it again, but I'm glad it's being made. Um, we'll see how they do. I've actually been reading a very interesting article on Kotaku that compares the Japanese translation of the game to the uh, U.S. translation of the game and how in the first couple beats, the characters are played differently. Cloud his dialogue come, makes him come across more like a uh, uh, like a solid snake type character, like a lot tougher uh, in the Japanese. Right. And uh, Barrett's character is also uh, tougher as well. He comes out, uh, he comes across as as harsher and less like Don allowed Don King. I suggest you check it out on Kotaku. Okay, I will indeed. And yeah, Grand Theft Auto Six. Just to put a fine button on that is some wishful thinking on the part of TechCrunch, but. Um, it's true, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto title for a new um, for a new generation of PlayStation makes sense to me. Uh, I would expect it. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what that brings. I feel like Grand Theft Auto for you know a next level of innovation. Uh, I feel like there's two challenges there. First and foremost, Grand Theft Auto Five Online is still so popular, so I don't know that you necessarily want to fuck with that at all. Um, it may may actually delay when that game is is released or looked at based on the fact that I'm sure they don't want to mess with that that good thing that they got going on. Yeah. Um. And you know, a Grand Theft Auto Six. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a storyline thing. Like, what do you really put in to make that game feel different from four and five? Right. 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 Again, the narrative the narrative elements. Sure. Bigger map. Fine. Um, you know, maybe it's just a bigger map and some different story and some sexy cars you can break into. And cause havoc with Dan. I have to go. Yes. I am late. I am late for a thing, and I'm uh uh my nose still hurts. It's funny. Grand Theft Auto Six, I think, is a long shot too, Andy. And uh, I think it's because Grand Theft Auto Five Online is making the company a ton of money. It means the players are still engaged and loving it. And uh, you know, what's your right? What's the next iteration in in the world of crime and mayhem that they've put together so well? So I I think they're gonna pump the brakes on Six for a while. You think so, eh? Yeah, I don't know. I could see it go either way. Um, that also depends on whether or not PS5, um, whether Grand Theft Auto V gets ported to PS5 with the online capabilities in play. If they don't, then yeah, it makes sense nice that time, they want to just transition to Grand Theft Auto VI online. Who the hell Who knows? knows? Next time in Rockstar Games does a thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, listener questions or games you want to play. PurpleDungeonSquid at gmail.com. Thanks for listening today, guys. Do your buddy Dank Dan a solid and recommend this fantastic festival to a friend. 
Or don't. He's not your I'm dad. Not your dad. And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time. Please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.